Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, September 4th, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hello. And Mr. Bob Ryer. Happy first day of school. Oh yeah, it's true. Sorry kids. Yeah. Sorry Ryan, that you have to be in school. (laughs) Um, Parents are happy. Parents are happy, and those of us who are in school just don't really care anymore. Though I still always feel like it's the end of summer when kids go back to school. It doesn't even matter where the calendar year says. Mm. And it's funny, whenever the VMAs happen, I always remember that being like the week or the week before school started. So whenever they come on, I'm like, mm. oh, school's starting. That's what I always think when they come on. See, I used to think it, the start of the new TV season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, obviously. It used to be earlier. Now it's so much later and scattered. Yeah. You don't even know when anything comes on. I always figured out when I'm stuck behind school buses driving on the yeah, road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Traffic will get worse now in the mornings, which stupid kids going to school. But movie theaters will be less crowded. It's true. It's true. So it's give and, and take. Go to matinee. Yeah. Give and take. Um, so for those of you wondering why Stephanie isn't with us, uh, we had a little bit of a storm here on Long Island today, and uh, my internet went out. And did not come back tonight. So uh, Stephanie could not be joining us from Canada. Uh, so, you know, we figured we'd celebrate the week after Women's Comic Week by having no women uh, <laughs> on the show. Um, speaking of women in comics, thank you to everybody who wrote in to all the, uh, you know, seasoned listeners and readers who, who enjoy the content. And welcome to any new listeners and readers who, who found us through the Women in Comics um, an initiative that we put together. Uh, thank you to all our guests, because uh, you know, with, without all those podcasts, you know that that's that really makes this week what it is. We got to put out some kick-ass content every single week. Um, thank you to Stephanie, Mara, and Melissa for taking the reins very, very well last yeah. week on this show. They did very, very well, and uh, um, it's it, it can it's one thing to be on the show; it's another thing to host the show. So uh, I congratulate Stephanie on being able to hold it together for what was a maxi-sized Talking Comics podcast. Yeah. How long um, was it? It was almost three hours. It's 246 It was like, like what, what, what our, one of our longer shows would Damn. be. Yeah, so they put it together. Um, Bob, for all his work, uh, put out some really cool articles. Uh, Steve put out uh, his top ten women in comics so uh, for the year so far um ever-changing list uh but i i think that the real highlight of your stuff was the katherine immerman uh, article yeah, yeah. yeah i had a lot of fun with that um it was a really awesome read and guys all that stuff is still up there there's a tab at the top uh, on the navigation bar that says women in comics i'll leave that up there for the next week or two just so you guys can catch up with all the content all those podcasts will always be there so remember you can go back and check those out um the Wonder Woman panel was a lot of fun to, to sit there and listen to, and I think we've gotten some really nice 
feedback from listeners saying they never cared about Wonder Woman, but now they want to check him out from mm. from that. And a lot of that's to do with with you know uh, with Greg and Mara and Carolyn and Trina and their their passion for the character there. Um, uh, you know, Kelly Sue and, and Emma Rios, which is probably my my favorite of the shows that we did uh, yeah, last yeah. week. Um, really awesome stuff. Uh, you guys should really check that out if you haven't. And of course, I mean, Andrea Letamendi was awesome, and the girls were awesome. We had a podcast on Friday as well, so there's a lot of stuff for you guys to catch up with. And and our contributors, too. I mean, I mentioned Mara and Melissa, but uh, Joey Bracino did another one of his panel review articles, which is really, really fun. They yeah. did one of Miss Marvel. Um, definitely check those out. I'd have um, failed that course despite having read that issue. <laughs> having it. I, I had to go back and read it. Yeah, it's a very cool, different way to look at, at a comic book issue. So that was really great. Um, Patrick Brennan, one of our new writers, put up a very heartfelt piece about his mother yeah, who got him introduced to comics. Yeah, so nice. um, there's plenty of plenty of stuff up there. Please go check that out. Um, and you can also, on Wonder Woman Day, we also did a comics and coffee dedicated to the character. So you can check that out as well. But, uh, that was awesome. And the next thing, in the, obviously, on the horizon is the 100th episode, which uh, this is n- episode 97, mm-hmm. I believe. So Ooh. we only got three more weeks before it goes. If you guys if you guys wrote in, I should have sent you an RSVP. If you didn't receive an RSVP from me, um, I obviously misplaced your email. So please just send me another email, um, bobby at talkingcomicbooks.com. If I haven't replied to you replying to the RSVP, that's okay. As long as you replied already, you're in, you're good, you're golden. I will see you at Reese's and Pat Jug on September 20th. Um, Stephanie, unfortunately, will not be there live. Uh, we do have, a, we have some special stuff lined up. We have some shops that donated some books uh, for prizes. Bob, we're all putting together kind of a trivia. Bob is spearheading this, but we're all going to put input to a trivia for you guys. So, you know, you guys can get on that. Um, looking into some merch and stuff, we'll have to see if we can put that together money-wise. But if we can, we'll definitely have some stuff for you. It's going to be a fun night. It's going to be a fun night. And don't worry, we're going to record it Obviously, for the podcast, we'll also do a little video of it. Uh, we'll come out probably a couple days, probably a week after it goes up, just just for interest of the people, you know, giving a reward to people who came to, to, to the show. Um, but yeah, and then Comic-Con is very soon after that, and we got a big, big, big time plan for you guys with that. Um, so it's going to be a busy couple months uh, for Talking Comics, but uh, we're really, really looking forward to it. Did you hear the going prices for Sylvester Stallone uh, to meet with him and no. then to take photos? No. no. I think, I, I, don't quote me on this, but it's like $340. Oh my God. Just to talk to him. And it's even more than that for a photo, or I could have that reversed. Mm. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Why does he need that money? He doesn't. It's so strange. It's the name. It's him. I know, but you would think that he's doing pretty well right now. Yeah. Give um, back to your fans. and Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's like a contractual thing. Maybe he owes I don't know, but exhibitors the, or whatever. The but. guest list, comics-wise, is mm. getting bigger and bigger every yeah. day. And not only are there some really tremendous names, but these people are going to be there for a, like for the weekend. There's a lot of people that last year... We're there only Saturday, Sunday, or what have you. Uh, there are people that are listed as all days that like nice. big, big time creators are going to be sitting around waiting to meet fans and sign things and sketch things, and it's going to be off the hook. Yeah, I um, mean, just like we did last year, uh, the week before the show, we'll definitely do our kind of uh, Comic Con preview for you guys, so you guys can be all caught up on, on that stuff. Um, in, in news this week, another giant casting thing happened uh, in between when we recorded shows, which seems impossible since 
we recorded a show on Friday, but <laughs> James Spader got cast as Ultron in Age of Ultron. Awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Bob, lead it off. Why is it so awesome? Oh, come on. This is Boston <laughs> Legal, the Secretary, <laughs> all those other things. Beyond, we've got a Robert Downey Jr. Yes. We've got a less than <laughs> James zero. Spiller reunion. Yeah, reunion. Great. He can do sort of disinterested, passionate at the same time, and that's mm-hmm. what you want in a robotic, artificially intelligent character, I would think. Yeah. And it's going to be just that peering down the nose at, at mere humanity as mm-hmm. it makes a mess of things. Uh, yeah. Perfect. Perfect casting. You agree, Steve? I uh, absolutely loved him in Stargate, mm-hmm. like, so well, long ago. That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was he was great in Stargate. I mean, even the guy that took over for him uh, on SG-1 was fantastic and nailed the character, but he made that character what he was. Uh, he was the most memorable, you know, member of that cast from back in the day. But yet he's got a very unsettling creepiness about him. Um, that I wouldn't, not smarmy, but just like he's like, oozing mm-hmm. with like contempt yeah you know i mean i heard he's a nice guy but yeah. i also heard he's a little bit of a weird guy yeah as well so i mean personality wise that matches up with ultron yeah. so long as it, i'm very curious as to i know they're going with a redesign of ultron which i don't necessarily have a problem with but i hope that if they're gonna they're gonna mocap him that they restrict it to the neck up because <laughs> i don't know if anybody wants a james spader built uh ultron <laughs> like a, but beyond, a pudgy ultron yeah yeah i know no, but beyond that uh i think it's a great great casting choice and completely mm. from left field i mean i yeah. would have never thought yeah like, it didn't even enter my mind and then they mentioned him and i was like oh yeah yeah yeah, so, very cool. Yeah, I think it's great. He's such an intense actor. He's inc- an amazing amount of intensity to him. And even when he's, you know, obviously secretary, he's great in that. He was even great. Um, he was in the last couple of years of The Office, where he played like the replacement for Steve Carell. Oh. And uh, he was great in that as well. Um, I think it's perfect casting choice. Like you said, the voice, I, as soon as they said it, I, can, I could hear that voice coming out of Ultron. And yeah, it's a spot on choice to, to do that. Uh, and we also got the official confirmation that Bradley Cooper is voicing rocket raccoon. So that is signed, sealed and delivered. Um, and that full cast is basically put together. The only thing we don't really know is Thanos, but, um, Thanos involvement in the movie is, he's going to be there, but we don't know how much he's going to be there. So, um, yeah, we got the whole cast. <laughs> Who'd they get him to, to play him the first time? Or was it just CGI? It was just CGI. And also there was no voice. It was just like a smile. Right. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I think it will still be like that that version of him. We thought maybe a little bit more uh, refined, obviously, but I think you're still going to get probably like part CGI, part makeup kind of kind of look to that character. But yeah, we got we got some a lot of voice casting announcements, you know, and it's it's going to be interesting because you know they said James Spader is Ultron. You know, when they cast Bradley Cooper, they're like Bradley Cooper is the voice of Rocket Raccoon. They didn't say. James Spader is the voice of Ultron in Age of Ultron. So, uh, you know, whether or not that means, like Steve was saying, more more physicality to Spader being the character, or perhaps he starts out as a person who becomes whatever it is. He's based on someone, who knows? But it's just how they word it. Maybe it's just an oversight. Maybe they just weren't thinking about it. But it's a different, you know, a different kind of announcement. Hmm. Then, then, then the are we overthinking or are they being obtuse? I don't know. I think we're probably overthinking. Okay, <laughs> um, but 
Yeah, I think that's an awesome choice. It's funny that I was surprised we got that casting before we heard about before we heard the Bradley Cooper thing confirmed. Because mm-hmm. Age of Ultron is obviously the year after, um, you know, the Guardian of the Galaxy movie. So it was surprising me that we got it. We were getting we're getting so much news about Avengers as far as casting goes so long before it it, it comes out. But um, look, definitely looking forward to it. Um, on the small screen, DC. Uh, they announced that Amanda Waller is going to be joining uh, the cast of Arrow, hmm. which leads more, even more speculation to a larger connected DC universe with this in the Flash. Because obviously, we've seen Amanda Waller um, throughout her time in the DC universe, but especially now in the New Fifty Two, kind of being the almost like the Nick Fury of, of the New Fifty Two, mm. as far as being in a, in a ton of books and heading up this organization that you know is good but does some shady stuff and you know so i think argus is definitely setting up as their kind of shield and uh do you think bob that it points to connecting things sure but th- I, will they have a second show do you think well flash is well flash they, to be they already said it's gonna be a separate show okay yeah so it should be a go-between between those yeah. shows yeah no casting or anything yet um but i think it's cool i mean we you know, I, I think they definitely were hoping that the Man of War they used in the Green Lantern movie would probably do the same thing. Uh, and they cast that part great. I mean, Angela Bassett is an awesome choice to play that role. Obviously, that movie did not do well. So, you know, who knows? Um, Steve, you have any thoughts about Amanda Waller? Uh, it's funny. I just I just read um, Suicide Squad mm-hmm. last night. And she's in that book heavily. She's the one, you know, running the Suicide Squad and whatnot. Yeah. And... I thought that I had a handle on her and what she is and or what her function is. Uh, she definitely does remind me. I mean, if if the DCU had a Nick Fury, I would definitely, first person I'd point to would be Amanda Waller. Mm. But I've realized that she's involved in a lot of conspiracy stuff. She, mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm. never know. Like, in the Suicide Squad book, uh, she nobody knows what to think of her. She's putting together all of these plan she put together a team basically to go against the the justice league mm-hmm. and she's not to be trusted yeah is what i'm getting from her lately mm-hmm. uh i think she's a very cool character i think she's a very she intrigues me um but i never know i never know whose side she's on so it's one of those double-edged swords where i i, I don't get too close to her because i don't trust her but at the same time i like the idea of a character that's shrouded in mystery that is such a part, an integral part of everything. Right. Um, it makes things interesting because even when it appears as if she's trying to do something for the good or for the better, I still don't know if there are ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. So that level of mystery keeps me interested in the character. Yeah, I'm not sure because I didn't read too much, obviously, before the New 52 ongoing. Has she always been like that, Bob? Or is she, yeah, was she more part of, of Checkmate, as I recall? Yeah, she was part was of Checkmate. always very... Shadowy. Yeah, yeah. So she's always been kind of that way. I know yeah. that she's that way in the Justice League cartoon, um, and there's some really great episodes with kind of her duality in, in, in those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. The the fact that you can't quite nail her down makes her a very uh, fun character to read in, mm-hmm. in her books, and to bringing that to the to the DCU to bring her into a TV show like Arrow, it points to, cause they, they mentioned Argus by name in the, yeah. in the, in the press release with her being mm. on the show. So it points towards this larger world setting up this larger world. Yeah. I mean the, the thing with her that I, that I like is, 
you know, a lot of the times when there's double dealing going on in comics, they'll show you both sides mm-hmm. where you get to see, you know, the nefarious and then you get to see them covering it up and trying to make everything work to their end. You don't get those in between moments. Or you don't get that other side with her. Mm-hmm. So you really kind of you're left to fill in the blanks yourself. And as we know, in reading comics, that could be a very dangerous right. area yeah. because <laughs> your brain could go anywhere. Yeah. And uh, like I said, it just adds to the mystery of her character, and she's a she's an intriguing person to bring into stories. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, she is. I'm reminded. I don't know if anybody ever watched this. I only watched a few of them. There was a show on uh, maybe it's ten years ago, The Pretender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it could be all sorts of things, yeah. whatever. And there was a female character called Miss Parker. Okay, I don't really was, remember, but she was sort of on this, the team trying to hunt him down because he'd escaped from some government projects. So they were always after him, but it turned out she had an, a backstory that connected them. Mm. I don't want to spoil a 10-year-old television show <laughs> or anybody. And you never quite knew what she was up to in any given moment. And in any given show, it would change. She'd mm. be one thing right. and then another. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Aren't you the baddie here? What just happened? Right. So I think Amanda could very well be whatever the story needs her to be Mm -hmm. yes absolutely absolutely um been a lot of this announcement the flash announcement has put a lot of positive i think buzz behind their their tv endeavors uh for the time being um uh steve did you know you know that eleshkot has done with suicide squad yes but that matt kent is going to be writing it is he uh, in fact like on the book now? Through um, Forever Evil. So the uh, whenever that event wraps up, I'm not sure if he goes past that, but he'll be writing the book um, right. through Forever Evil, which is a six part once a month miniseries. So I'm I'm curious about it. Uh, I gotta I'll, if I'm being honest, I, I kind of don't want to say this on the show, but I will. Uh, <laughs> I was really really psyched about Aleshkot's Suicide Squad when it started. Uh, I just read his last issue last night, and mm. I really didn't care for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I hate to say this, it felt very phoned in. Okay, there was a lot of uh, you know when you're when you're reading a book and they they tell you where you are and what time it mm. is. You know Argus headquarters, mm. blah blah blah. There was a lot of uh, I wish I had it in front of me. It's in the box. I don't want to take the time, but. It's, you know, somewhere below the earth and there's things going on. Like, it's just, it was very, um, like, lackadaisical, very, like, put your feet up and write it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I know that he said that he killed his deadlines and he was very excited to read the book. But there, to me, there's a time and a place for, like, little funny blurbs like that to kind of lighten it up. But Mm -hmm. with a book like Suicide Squad, Mm -hmm. there's very serious things going on. Characters are dying left and right. There's huge plots happening. And that, well, I guess, attempt at humor in the book came off as like a eh right. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I am not. I am not a Leshcott. I have. I'm not <laughs> trying to criticize. I do enjoy his writing a great deal, but I just I felt like that issue in particular uh, was very phoned in, and it actually it made me. Uh, more inclined. I want to see what Matt Kent can do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he's already put out an issue that I had. I have yet to to pick up. Okay. Um, again, I have to. I have to start paring down my list. Suicide Squad might be one of the ones that needs to go for a while and just pick it up and trade later on. Mm. Um, there are so many books out there, so many events and stories going on that if something's only doing it for me halfway, it's it's gonna have to get the curb for right now. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That's absolutely. All right, cool. Um, so uh, moving on to our books of the week. Uh, just so you guys know, um, today we're going to be talking about Villains Month and Forever Evil. It starts, and we kind of wanted to give you guys a primer on what's coming, the teams that are writing the books, and which ones we're interested in, which ones in the kind of perfect world where we had all the money in the world, we would all pick, pick them up, and the ones that we would be picking up, and then we're going to go over our top, uh, our, our favorite DC villains. Uh, as well just so you guys know at the end of this book of the week segment we're going to save it for last um trinity war concluded so what we're going to do is with trinity war we're going to talk about the events and the end of trinity war at that point um we'll give you a spoiler warning uh we'll let you know when to come back uh but if you just you know if you we'll make sure that the next thing we do after the trinity war talk is play the intermission music when we come back we'll be talking about forever evil um, so if you want only spoiled on those events, you might want to tune out there. The other thing too, though, is Forever Evil is taking over right from Rabbit's Eternity War. So by this time next week, we are going to be talking about the things that are happening in Forever Evil because the book is coming yeah. out, and it's going to be the status quo in the DC universe. So the events and the kind of surprise that happens at the end will be freely talked about next week. I just want everyone to know they're out there to know that uh, right now. Yeah. Um. But. But if you haven't got a chance to catch up with Trinity War yet, don't worry. We'll give you a spoiler warning. We will not spoil it for you this week. Um, all right. So all of that business out of the way. Uh, Bob, why don't you start us out? Okay. Uh, speaking of endings, uh, my first quick mention is of Steed and Mrs. Peel from Boom Studios. Mm-hmm. It's number 11 and the last issue. Was it meant to always be the meant to be the last issue or was it canceled or do you know? We have 12 issues. The first two were Mark Wade. The right. next ones were Caleb Monroe. Mm-hmm. This All right, there's a, a zero issue and then a right. one. Right. It is very much one long story. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of have that feeling. I also have the feeling that if it were selling like hotcakes, well, yeah. mm-hmm. it, would, it would still mm-hmm. be going. But since it's selling you know 4,000 copies a month, it's going away. Uh, what it really it reads as a loving tribute to the television show, these characters, the art, by Yasmin Liang is just perfectly rendered, you know, representations of these characters, which you don't see very much mm. when you do licensed things. And it's a lost episode. Mm. And so this is something I'll go back and reread since they're not going to make any more Avengers episodes. <laughs> and even though I kind of did like that movie in 97 <laughs> or 98 or wherever yeah. it was. I like it too, Bob. It's okay. <laughs> All right. That's the two of us. Um, what, really digressing. To me, what made that movie interesting was it was not Lethal Weapon. It was not an American action movie. Mm-hmm. It was this bizarre construct of strange things. How many movies would you ever see Sean Connery in a kilt and <laughs> dressed as a teddy bear? Mm-hmm. Not many, I'm saying. <laughs> so anyway, Steed and Mrs. Peel, uh, number 11, they do have one trade that came out before that actually had all the variant covers. And mm-hmm. there were a lot of them in the first bit, including a whole bunch of X-Men covers. Oh, wow. Well, the Hellfire Club that you yeah, guys know, yeah. even though it's a real thing, it's taken from the Avengers television show. Right, right. That's where mm. Byrne and Claremont and Byrne grabbed it from. Speaking of Mark Wade, before I forget about this, because he this is a little bit of news I forgot oh, to talk about. Oh, it's a great piece of news. Yeah, he yeah. bought a comic book shop, or he went in with a comic book shop. Yep. What, what was it? Atomic Comics? What was it? No. Um, oh, God. Alter Ego? Alter Ego, yes. yes. Alter Ego Comics, yes. Hey, I knew something. Um, <laughs> Uh, he is now, you know, he helped, he's helping the current owner expand. He's now an owner of the shop and everything like that. And he had a really funny post about it. He's, you know, me, me the 
the you know the executioner of physical media is now going to own a comic book shop. But it's pretty cool. Mark Wade is, owns a comic book yeah. shop, which is pretty awesome. Well, he always said the two could coexist. Yeah. So even if he has his own digital thing going on, yeah. he also cool. has said you can come down to the shop and see his scale model of the Bat Cave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, what else did he have? A Phantom Zone projector yeah. and a Green Lantern battery. Mm. And, <laughs> and you can try to stump him with trivia questions. <laughs> is he going to be there? Yeah. Awesome. I don't think he's going to be there a lot. He, yeah. has, he has work to do, but I yeah. think he'll hang out. Yeah, absolutely. Which absolutely. Fun. Um, FF number 11, uh, Matt Fraction and the All Reds, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here we've got a, as in, he's doing this real revisit in Fantastic Four number 11, way, 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 way back. We were introduced to the Impossible Man from mm-hmm. the Planet Pop-Up. Well, here in FF 11, he is back. Mm-hmm. And what he's looking for, basically, is a school to put his son Adolf in. Yep. And Adolf is the exact opposite of his dad. He wants to sit and read the actuary tables and insurance books. And But when pressed, he's not too thrilled to be going with his new classmates. And there's a whole hubbub yes. about that. And he, did you read? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. yeah. I read it. Just a, you know, we've had the bad Medusa for a few issues. And she's back. <laughs> she's just lovely here. It's just a super, super moment. She's very nurturing. Yeah, well, she's a mom, yeah. you know. Um, we also have some Maximus moments. He's not happy at being fed animal crackers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, was that, what was that line he had? First food, then the world, world. or whatever yeah. he says. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's, he's hooked up with Caesar, yeah, which yeah. is not going to be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm really sad, obviously, you know, that Mad Fraction's leaving, but his stories will continue, and who knows what will happen from there. And this is the last one, right? I think it's his last full issue. Right. You know, the plots that he yeah. laid out will continue for another three or four. Another three or four, yeah, but this is his last full issue. Yeah. Which is sad. Now, next issue is also a a revisit. Wait, no, I think next issue is his last full issue, because the next issue, at least it's solicited as... Fraction all right. right. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't say any other names okay. on it. So unless th- that was already printed before they make, came to this decision, um, that well, could the, be the case. Well, it could just be an extra all right. Could be. Yeah. No. Yes. I know. But yeah. it, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And they would just use one. <laughs> uh, but in Fantastic Four number twelve, back then it was the first crossover with the Hulk and the first Hulk thing mm-hmm. battle. And at the end of this, we see that there will be sort of a new version of that. In that it looks as if we have Darla and yeah. Jen not happy with each other. Mm. And much screaming, <laughs> which is fun. Uh, quickly through New Avengers number nine. Yes. Uh, which is a lovely tension-building issue, mm. I'd like to say, where we have uh, the factions of the Illuminati, some of them not very happy with each other, particularly yeah. Namor and the Panther. Yeah. Panthers. The Panthers, uh, Yes. Plural. We have some lovely inhuman stuff. Black Bolt and Maximus, they're mm-hmm. sort of reconnecting. They're yeah. going to have to. Yeah. Got stuff to do here. <laughs> um, you guys, uh, you read? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No. I definitely read it. Yeah. yeah. I definitely read it. It's, it's been, it's a lot different than the other new Avengers issues. It, it, it definitely it kind of puts the pedal down to the floor as far as the events that are happening because mm-hmm. you get all of the, all of the, the, the generals uh, of Thanos coming to Earth. Uh, and just like in that uh, that Avengers issue previous, it it took me aback at first because it's kind of anti Hickman storytelling. Yeah. It's it it goes okay. 
we're going to go to Earth because there's no Avengers there, and then they're just there. You know, there's no big buildup. There's no them traveling. There's no, you know, Tony trying to figure out a way to stop them from coming when they're, you know, you know, 500 light years yeah. away. It's just like, okay, they're here. Shit just got real. You know, that's basically what happens in it. Mm-hmm. And I really, really enjoyed it. I was just taken aback by the fact that it was that quick. Uh, but I really yeah. liked it. I yeah. liked all the Namor stuff as well. That stuff um, with him dealing with yeah, I think uh, Atlantis being sacked. Yeah, I was gonna I, I was gonna talk about Infinity too. I think it's interesting that there are other things going on aside from you know this catastrophic universe wide event that there are still storylines being like following through from Avengers that we've been reading this whole time. So you're you're getting. The Infinity event, but you're also getting the continuation of Jonathan Hickman's Avengers and and New Avengers that, I mean, we're getting like three major stories here Mm -hmm. within one thing. Yeah, it's it's really fulfilling as yeah. an as an event. It's really really fulfilling. Yeah, and absolutely. each time around, and it's been the tie in books and the regular books. Mm-hmm. There's a new layer. It seems like, and that, which is his old fashioned storytelling. Yes. but now it's a little page of oh, the Infinity Gems and the Soul Gems. They're all here. Yeah, what, what? What? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it seems, and it does seem like was it Mister? Was it Reed? Is hiding something because he's mm-hmm. the one right where the gem is not totally mm-hmm. gone. Yep. So, we'll have to see what happens with that. Well, as we've seen in Fantastic Four, Reed's been sneaky lately. He has been very sneaky. Very, has very go- sneaky. Sneaks off to have dinner with Dr. Doom. I mean, what's all that about? Yeah. I, uh, what's up with that, man? Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I could reread, and it was in the, it was in the front of Infinity, um, issue one of Infinity, but it was I forgot what number of New Avengers it was. But I can reread that page and that panel where Panther holds the, the box, the weapon, and they ask him what he's waiting for, and he says, "I'm not, I'm not, whatever. I'm, just, I'm trying to remember, trying who, to remember I, who I, who I, was. I, who I used to be. Yeah, that, I could reread that page a hundred times. Every time I read it, it has it like looks like somebody punched me in the throat when he when when, yeah. when he says it. I reread uh, Infinity number one when I sat down to catch up with yeah. Infinity, and that I stopped at that moment too. Yeah. Just like oh. yeah, it's um, a great line. It's an awesome line. Gonna have to reread it again with two on the shelves as we speak. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah, it's a big big Wednesday. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> uh, moving on to a tie-in, Captain Marvel yeah. 15, mm-hmm. uh, Kelly Sudakonik, Jan Van Meter, mm-hmm. and Pat O'Leaf from Spider-Girl back in the <laughs> old days, which was really nice to see. Uh, this is also the Battle of the Corridor that we saw in Avengers Assemble and Avengers... It, but Avengers uh, oh, 18, 18, right? Yeah, I was yeah. say 17, but yeah, I think it's 18. Right. Yeah. Um, I, it's about the human characters here. So we, if I, my complaints, and you heard them Friday, were about that the space battle seemed just like a space battle. You mm-hmm. read the tie-ins mm-hmm. and get the human side of it as part of this larger picture. You know, Cap makes this wonderful speech rallying the troops, and we cut, it's, we cut to a thought balloon, uh, thought caption of Carol, you know, and I felt nothing. Mm-hmm. Because we're dealing with the aftermath, I'm not going to say too much still, and people yeah, are reading yeah. about what happened. And just as dramatics, 15 and 16 will lead into Cap 17, mm. which will be the direct dealing with all this. Right. But now you see, you know, Jessica, what she chose to do the last time was reflected in the change in their relationship. Mm-hmm. What was going on with Clint, that's all here too. Mm. This is uh, Marvel's tie-ins have been very, very good. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I haven't I've ventured into any of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Have we had 
Thunderbolts. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And you're going to talk about that one when we get to it. Um, my own. I like. I like the issue very much. Uh, my only regret about the issue, and it's the only one so far where it's made me kind of upset that Infinity is there because I don't feel like we. I feel like we got we hit the fast forward button here. You know the the end of the events of the Enemy Within. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going to happen to Carol, and then when we we're here, we now know, and she has to be there. She's one of the main Avengers. Mm-hmm. It's you know part of the deal with uh, and it, as in in the fictional world and in real life, she's got to be there. You know it's it's part of the deal, but. It's a shame because I was like, "Oh, that's what happened," and I'm sure there's going to be something more. Yeah. I know there's a lot mm-hmm. coming. I, I've heard there's a lot coming, uh, but I just, for me, after the pathos of the end of Enemy Within, I wanted like that, that quiet, like yeah. you know, kind of grief <laughs> issue or whatever it would be, or, you know, you know that that uh the denouement to the to the this huge buildup we had and instead we're kind of we did, we have to throw her into the main battle and what kelly sue did with that i thought worked very very well and i i, I still felt the sense of loss because of what carol's going through in this issue but it's not the next issue of captain marvel that i wanted right yeah, no, I, yeah I, I agree uh, totally yeah totally agree yeah i read she had commented somewhere saying yeah what did seem abrupt and it was sort yeah. of the event came in the way and yeah I mean, what are you going to do? That's the well, reality of modern comic book storytelling. But you know, it is like it it, it went like up, 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 and then all of a sudden, instead of you know coming back down from it, you kind of went to the side. Mm-hmm. And because she is such a part of this event, and she needs to be there, that I feel like there's like an in between that we didn't get to see because circumstances are what they are. That all of a sudden you have this character in this story. But in her own time, she went through this, you know, life-changing event mm-hmm. that you don't have, because it's a huge story and you have to tell the Infinity story, you can't tell that coping with the new circumstances story. And I I felt like that really would have been nice to have before we were introduced into her part of Infinity. Cause I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's missing. I have faith that it'll get explained mm-hmm. in time. I just, for this particular issue, or for this issue of Captain Marvel, it would have been really huge for me to have that. And I didn't have that. And it kind of, like, I was almost, uh, there were two, I'll get to it later with the other one, but there were two characters that I was very, very conflicted with this week, where I kind of felt myself, I was distancing myself from them. And one of them was Captain Marvel. And even though I enjoyed the issue, it was a very odd position for me to find myself in that her, what happened happened, but her attitude towards it, I understand the reasons, but it made her seem cold. She has no, I can't say anything. I know, I know, I know. Really has no choice in that. Yeah. Like as much as she's a part of the event, she i she's removed from it as well mm-hmm. and i understand that that's you know that's the story and that's her mm-hmm. part but it's just me personally cuz you know you get close to these characters oh, yeah. it's almost it's scary it's almost like a friend <laughs> you know stabbing you in the back or disappointing you and you're kind of like you walk like oh you're not supposed to be like that man <laughs> you know i thought we were friends <laughs> maybe again i uh, yeah, no i'm sure yeah. i'm sure that kelly sue has a plan uh, she's always had a, a tremendously great grasp on that character, so I, I have faith. 
I'm just I'm a little cold on it right now. Mm. We also get a tease at the end of the issue to another old long lost character. Yes, we do. So oh, right. secret, yeah, so. secret, secret. Uh, now to my actual book of the week. Mm-hmm. It's digital. Oh my god. Ah, what? <laughs> ah, see, I, I can surprise even you guys every now and again. Um, it's called Hoods, number one, and it's from one of our listeners. Oh, wow. Casey Crawford, and the art's by Jarell Dampier, and letters and layout by Jacqueline Crawford. Who They're I both our listeners. Jarell and yeah, Casey are both okay. our listeners. Well, there we go. Awesome. Uh, it's a real-world story, but superheroics sort of enter into it. We open okay. on the meeting of a sort of white supremacist organization and they're just gloating over the fact that they just beat up some fella outside a gay club and he was crying like a baby while they smashed his face to bits or whatever. And there's a, there's an omniscient narrator who we're sort of listening to as he describes what it is they're talking about. And we cut to a shot of a fella sitting at another table, arms sort of on the table, mask and a hood on mm-hmm. who gets up and kicks the living daylights out of these guys and hands him a note saying, uh, this is just the beginning. Ooh. Uh, we flash backwards to three weeks past, and we see uh, this fellow Luther uh, speaking to the young, young boy he's, he's looking after. His name is Malcolm, and he's, he, Malcolm's very scared because his town is run by the Klan and these supremacist guys, and it's tough for a, a young African-American to grow up in this situation. He starts to tell him a story about a hero who can change things and, and make things better for everyone who will fight against injustice and so on and so forth. And then we cut back again. This this helps Malcolm. He feels better about himself. Luther lightens his own heart with that. Mm-hmm. We cut back to the present, and they're sitting around their breakfast table reading the newspaper, and uh, Luther spits his milk all over the table when he reads a story about this attack. Mm-hmm at the supremacist organization. So it all starts to tie in. We see some more of the town. Uh, we see the sheriff who's related to these folks and so on and so forth. I, wanna, I don't want to give too much of this away because it is available on www.hoodscomic.com. Uh, it's being reviewed to go up on Comicsology. This is a great personal story, a wonderful message about heroism in the real world and how people deal with adversity in, of all sorts. Again, I don't want to spoil too much. I don't read many things like this at all, obviously. Mm. Uh, this is just really, really well-written. These are finely honed characters in the space of just one issue. That's and they're cool. really set out well. The art is a nice blend of sort of indie-styled but classic panel layouts and sort of a, a manga twist to it as well. So it really it's black and white, but you, you hmm. don't even notice that it, the colors are missing. So it's Hoods Number One by Casey Crawford and Jarell Dampier. Is it a one shot? Is it looking... one shot so far? The uh, two is nearly done. Three is on the way. Wow, that's awesome, man! Congratulations. Yeah, and Casey's a great listener. He's you know very very active on the site and with us. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, he, I'll check it out now. He tweets yeah. at me all the time. Yeah, I, uh, I gotta check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he actually sent to me my email, so I'll have to definitely check it out and read it now. Um, awesome. So that's it for you, Bob? That's it. All right. Um, Steve, what do you got for us? Uh, I got the catch-up game going on here. <laughs> so we're going to do a couple of really quick little reviews of just stuff that I've read that other people have talked about that while I was away did not get the chance. Uh, I got to catch up on Red Sonia by Gail Simone, issue Ooh. number two. Yeah. 
Uh, still really, really enjoying it. I, uh, am, I've never read Red Sonia before. I've never done anything in the Conan universe whatsoever. Conan, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> and I, I really am digging the character. And I'm, I'm digging that right away Gail Simone is, I mean, we all, you think of the main character, you think of somebody like Red Sonia, that she's unstoppable. She's going to be able to overcome any army, blah, blah, blah. No. We actually find out that she has weaknesses, and mm-hmm. she she does get the shit kicked out of her uh, right, if yeah. given the right yeah. opponent. And I think that that's really important to see, especially early on, because it makes the challenge for that character that much bigger, and it makes her that much more interesting for me to read, because mm-hmm. there is a chance that we can lose some people and that she's not always going to be able to be there to, you know throw in that last minute sword clang to, <laughs> to block the, you know, the person from getting their head chopped yeah. off or whatever. And I, uh, you know, no, I wouldn't say a flawed character, but just someone who is able to get, you can get the one up on her. It is possible. And I went into it thinking that she was just going to be like, you know, slicing heads off left and right and nobody was going to be able to get near her. Maybe she'd get, uh, you know, a nick on her face every now and again, but nothing major. Mm. Um, she gets pretty messed up in this. And knowing that she has that vulnerability makes me enjoy her much more as a character. And it really adds another flavor to the story. And uh, I'm really psyched for issue number three. And I, I hope that it continues to go well for her. And we get to see a lot of her personal honor that she decides to defend this town yeah. where, you know, it could have just been a berserker book and it isn't. Yeah. There's and it's something very special about that. It's really cool to see a, a superheroine that is about the honor. Like, that's a huge, huge thing about what this book and this mm-hmm. story is about. Um, and you don't see that a whole lot. You know, there's a lot of trying to I, I hate to say, use the word to to prove female characters right now. This is, feels to me like a character that doesn't need to be bothered with all of that, and she's just going to do yeah. what she has to do. So for that, uh, Gail Simone, kudos. <laughs> you have a reader in me. <laughs> uh, I caught up with Batman and Nightwing uh, from last time. Uh, you were right. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the events in that book are, are quite good, uh, as is the involvement of Alfred, mm-hmm. especially towards the end of the issue. Uh, funny how... I had thought about his actions and that, uh, you know, a month or however long ago it's been. And to see that come together in, in the book right in front of me, I was like, hey, I wrote that. <laughs> um, I didn't. But it was nice to see it. it. It really added yet another layer to one of my, my favorite characters. Not so much a layer, but just a a gesture or a moment with him that further solidifies my enjoyment of Alfred's character. He's always been one of my favorites in the Batman universe, and mm-hmm. it was a really solid moment for yeah. him. Um, one of those things that somebody asks you, like, oh, why do you like him of all people? I would. That's one of those moments that I would point to. Yeah, absolutely. And be like, that's why. Yes. Uh, X Factor 5-6 continues to be awesome. The last one comes out this Wednesday. Sad, but Sad. Uh, it's been a... I'll tell you this... A lot of these, a lot of these endings to some of these series, some of them have been touch and go. This one's been really good. It's been really solid. Every I love the idea of each book uh, rounding out this end to X Factor that everybody's gotten their own issue and gotten a chance to shine, but still, it, it's putting a cap on where they are. And also, all signs point to this not being the end. 
I don't know when, but I have a I'm feeling that... Knocking wood by hitting my mm-hmm. head, as we say. That. I think we might hear something at uh, New York City Comic Con. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Some kind of announcement. Even if it's not the whole story, I think we'll, uh, you know, we'll see some of that. Uh, I got the chance to read Batman Incorporated, the special. Is the this special? part of your... I did not read it, so I don't know. All right. Um, I... I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It's broken up into, you know, you're you're going around to who's left of Batman Incorporated mm-hmm. and you're basically seeing the after events of everything that's transpired within this series. Right, yes. And I enjoyed the uh the, the each each story is about maybe four or five pages total for each for each character. I really enjoyed the Squire story and I absolutely loved just because of its the nature of it the uh bat cow couple of pages <laughs> was great wait, wait, wait. Um, yeah. bat yes. cow Ca- yeah cows are my favorite animal period um so i've been getting a real kick out of bat cow for bat cow to have his own set of pages and have a mask and a cape yeah really really kind of blew my mind um the rest of it eh it would yeah how do you top bat cow <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, they left it. They left. It was smart because they left it for last. <laughs> so uh, you know, it was pretty cool. But I, I feel like everything kind of ended. It was nice to see where everybody goes off to, but nothing, n- nothing earth shattering. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did very much enjoy the Batman Incorporated series. You don't need to read the special, but if you are curious as to where the other characters, uh, what they decide to do once they're disbanded, that's where you're going to want to go for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last quick review book, uh, just to put a word out for anybody that's either reading or curious about uh, Joshua Williamson's Ghosted. Uh, it's a new series from Image. I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this. Bob, I think you would really get into this. I'll what's, actually. What's I'll, it about? What do we got going it here? It is about a... I guess a, a, it's like a, a crack team of paranormal investigators yeah. type of thing. You have your con man, you have your skeptic, you have your you know spec ops, spectral mm-hmm. investigator. You have the two guys that host one of those you know paranormal investigation shows where they're pulling yeah. on strings for doors and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, you have a did I say psychic woman? Uh, I might have. No, but so. you just did. But, but it's anyway. like it's like Ocean's Eleven in a haunted house. Yeah, it's kind of what oh, it's that's like. Great. That's yeah. a good pitch. Yeah. They want they want they want proof of life after death, and it's this you know this bigger story than that. I want to give anything away, but all of these characters seem to be in it for their own their own means. They have like a reason for being mm-hmm. involved in this one in particular. But what I'm really really liking about this is instead of going straight for the horror and going for all like not. Like like not sight gags, but just like horrific uh, visuals and stuff like that. You're getting almost that moment before the horrible stuff happens, and then it's being pulled away from you. It's being taken Ooh. away. So they're they're baiting you with this malevolence and this evil that's inside of the house, but you're only getting a little bit of it. So it's like you know they're dangling it in front of you, and then right before you go to grab the carrot, they just yank it away. <laughs> and uh, it just it reminds me of so many things growing up from my childhood of movies that I used to watch. It reminds me of Poltergeist. It reminds me of The Woman in Black. It reminds mm. me of old John Carpenter films. Uh, and like I said, I'm really really enjoying the cast and getting to know the characters because it's very easy to have. A book like this that goes, you know, all for comic book horror Mm -hmm. scares. And right now it's all about building the characters and building the tension so that when something actually happens to them, 
that you care. Yeah, you're invested. Yeah, yeah. Or, or a character that you don't like that, like, you want to see them get it. You know, like, I've already got my list where I'm like, ooh, I can't wait for you to just, you know. <laughs> so uh, really, really good stuff. I'm, I'm very, uh, very happy with it and, and can't wait to see where it goes. Uh, so there's that. I caught up on Infinity. Mm-hmm. Is my uh, is my other thing that I did? I am. I didn't really get to talk about the event last time or last Friday. Uh, wow, it's awesome. Yeah. It's really awesome. Uh, I definitely agree with you, Bobby. About the it was very quick to move from. You know, I mean, we had all the prelude stuff, mm-hmm. but it seemed like assemble the team that there would have been a little bit more prep work to do. But then all of a sudden, you go into issue number two, and we're already in space. Yeah. And there's giant battles happening. But like I said earlier, I really appreciate the fact that there are other big, maybe not the biggest of the stories, certainly that's the Infinity portion, but there are still things being carried out. You know, if if we are going to see Captain Marvel's mending through the Infinity mm-hmm. event, then mm-hmm. so be it. And that's yeah. really cool too. The stuff with, uh, with Wakanda and... Um, I don't know, Under the Sea? No, um, Atlantis. 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 Oh, my God. Under the, the sea. under the Sea. You know, you know Under the Sea? Yeah. Sebastian, Flounder, and Ariel, yeah, yeah, they're going to come out. Yeah. Um, so, the, I mean, that that stuff's really cool. And that that stuff, uh, the Wakanda and Atlantis stuff, I am I am so on board with that. Mm-hmm. That's been one of my one of those things that's been brewing for a while that I'm really... Every time that it comes up, when we flash back to those circumstances, um, he always has like a hundred percent of my attention. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, those two characters demand it and always have They're yeah. yeah. Heavy hitters. Uh, really quick, uh, because I don't think anybody else, uh, picked it up. I'm trying to do as much of infinity as possible because I am really enjoying the event. So I picked up, uh, Thunderbolts, uh, part of the, uh, number 14 is part of the infinity event written by Charles soul. Now, we all tried Thunderbolts number one. Mm-hmm. We didn't like it. Uh, and I will say the the book, I don't know that the book will make it to my pull list uh, after the Infinity event. I do very much enjoy Charles Soule's uh, writing. Right. But I will say this. It's better. It's, mm-hmm. it's better than it was. Uh, and it's a lot funnier. It's a lot snarkier mm-hmm. than I expected. Uh, pretty much what they're doing now within the story is Thunderbolts is, you know, now Red Hulk, Deadpool, Elektra, Punisher, who have been having a relationship, and Venom. And the circumstances are that they are a part of this group, but now they actually get to choose. They pick out of a hat, and each one of them has a certain mission in mind, a big mission that they need a team for. And so I think these, this next arc or what's going to be going on in this book is they're going to be picking and choosing out of this hat and we're going to get, you know, issues dedicated to each character, but with the team as a backup. Mm -hmm. So right now we're looking at the Punisher and they all sit down and, you know, they pick Punisher's name Mm -hmm. out of the hat and they're like, you know, okay, so what are you going to have us do? And he basically gives them this huge backstory about, you know, a mafia within New York city and it's, you know, bad business for everybody. And, you know, we've got to take them down and the whole table is just looking at him, and they're like, so we're pretty much going to do what you do all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, you really need to get some new material. You need to, you need to get some new villains. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very tongue-in-cheek, which the Thunderbolts before Charles Soule took over, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think was. Mm-hmm. Um, the art is, is 
better. I, mm-hmm. I didn't care for I was it Dylan. Steve Dylan. Yeah. Steve Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um I, I don't care very much for his art. Uh the art is a little bit better, but not exactly what I would picture for this book. It's a little cartoony, it's very anime, almost like Mighty Avengers. Uh everybody comes off as as looking very squat and very boxy. And I just it's it's comedic at times. But there are also times when I, I feel that it's completely not the art that would fit the situations that they're involved in. Things are a little bit more dire. It seems like it might need a little bit more flash to it than mm-hmm. that. But anyway, um, better, not great. And as far as uh, the Infinity thing goes, unfortunately, it's one of those issues where, you know, two pages mm-hmm. have to do with directly with the Infinity event. And it's one of those things where it could not have happened at all, and at this at this stage of the game, would not have taken away from the Infinity Event. Right. So it's you know we had the other the Avengers Assemble and Captain Marvel that were very much apart because they were moments within the main story. Yeah, yeah, of course. This now has me wary as to are we going to run into the problem where you have all these Infinity labeled issues that you get a page and a half or even just a mention of like, oh, the Avengers aren't here. They're in space. Mm-hmm. And that covers ground for it being an Infinity mm-hmm. tie-in. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. Right. No, of course not. You know, I feel cheated mm-hmm. when it's like that. And it so. has the same trade dressing. I was just looking at the Captain Marvel issue, the same blue across the bottom and the yeah. same Infinity across the yeah. top. So there's no way to know that it's yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's, ancillary. it's literally yeah. the last two pages. Except, was it on that, is it on that checklist in the back of Infinity? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, it's not not on the not on the the graph, but it's if you turn to the last page. Of well, no, but I'm talking about I'm talking about Hickman's. No, the graph. only ones that are on no. that are the Hickman related books. That's Avengers it. and New Avengers. Okay, okay, yeah. all right. Um, and then the, the Trinity books yeah. themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you want the entire thing, check it. I mean, for all I know, if I pick up Thunderbolts, which is also an Infinity tie-in, next time. Because of those last two pages, it could spiral out into something bigger the mm-hmm. next time. So, right. you know, it's uh, pretty up in the air. The mafia are really scrolls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, real quick, because I don't want to take up too much time, because uh, all I really have are adjectives about it. But uh, Uncanny X-Men number 11 has has got to be probably one of my favorite issues of this series so far. The series has been an incredible tie-in to the uh, all-new X-Men that's been going on since the relaunch of uh, or the reboot of Marvel now. But uh, the artwork and the writing and essentially in this issue, you have a new Sentinel that's showed up and it is quite the force to be reckoned with. The team doesn't really know how to deal with him. And also the fact that you have a lot of the leaders, their powers are broken and they can't. They're having performance issues, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. And they're reliant on their new teammates, who are pretty green to the whole thing. But it seems that in this issue, all the noobs really needed was a threat big enough to give them that kick in the ass, and to see they they kind of look at these people that have been trying to coach them and help them and bring them up to speed that they're in need of their help and you've either got to put up or shut up. If you, if you've been kicked out of your family or people are hunting you down, you're wanted by the law mm-hmm. and these people are now becoming your family and you got to step up to the plate, you got to perform. 
So in this issue, what we get on top of some incredible artwork, some really atmospheric stuff, is you get to see these characters using their powers, but not just using their powers, using them on their own. And even some of them taking them to the next level without even really Mm -hmm. knowing what they were doing. But because their heart was in it and because their ass was on the line, it was time for the evolution of their power and to step it up. Mm -hmm. And there was one one character in particular. um, I think he's actually going to go by the name Gold Balls. (laughs) Um, I've really liked him throughout this whole story. I find him to be very funny and I, I... sympathize or empathize i can never remember which is which uh with his whole home situation it's very uh i think like bobby drake ish yeah in a way and i mean he he brought it this issue Mm -hmm. hardcore and there's there's this panel of him using his power that yeah i mean that's that's the way that you've wanted to see him do it very concentrated um very purposeful and just some really really cool stuff that we might really, really get some great characters out of this whole uh, uncanny X-Men thing. When Not when this is over, but we are getting great characters out of this story. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're all very likable. Mm-hmm. They're all very likable. Yeah, it was um, really nice to have it narrated by Cyclops. Yeah. It was really, really nice. Yeah. It, 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 it went a long way in my, in my mind uh, for that character... Uh, so far in this run, and the thing, Fraser Irving is the artist, and the one thing about his art is, well, it's very, it, it, it's awesome. I always, I feel like I'm gonna be sick reading it, <laughs> just be, and not, it just because it's so unsettling, lots of trails and off-putting, and it, it's, you know, it's not realistic at all. It's very impressionist and almost, it's almost like emotion, you know, it looks, it's like pure emotion. It looks and, like you got knocked out, like in a, like in a movie when they get knocked out and they're coming to and all that fuzzy smeariness yeah. is going on. Like <laughs> colors are brighter than yeah. they should be. Yeah. Uh, but really, really good. And I agree with you. It was, it was a, it was a odd merging of art and story because the story is very, very action packed, very pedal to the metal, very straightforward, and the art is the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. But um, a cool, cool thing to to, to check out. Uh, yeah, I really liked it when I was when I was reading it. I I was like while reading, I was like, wow, like, yeah. this is really cool. And by the time I put it down, I was very, very impressed. Yeah, and I finally I did I read uh, X Men from last week. Finally, oh, I read that too. Oh. Uh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. So, and we're going to talk about Trinity War in, in a few minutes, but that's it for you, yep. I see. Yep, that's okay. it. Um, really quick for me, um, Batman Superman number three. I just want to talk about it very quick because it's such a bizarre book to be coming out of DC right now because, the, and I think it's just the art, really. The Jai Lee art is gorgeous, but it's also, he's very, he's a, he's a very, his art style is very sparse. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's these really oddly shaped characters, um, beautiful painterly stuff going on. But there's a lot. The backgrounds are kind of sparse, and he's he's very, uh, very crazy, like a very absurdist with the shapes and the things that he's doing. And so sometimes I get confused where I am place wise by the art. And mm. the story has been a little bit vague about kind of after the first issue, Bruce and Clark, young Bruce and Clark end up um, what seems like either in the future or in, I think it's actually Earth 2 um, with Bruce and Clark from from that, uh, older. 
So it's a Bruce now, and Clark the, who don't the like the New Earth Two or the. I think it's the New Earth 2, I okay. think, but I so think it's, it's before the events of... Okay. So uh, it's the past. Yeah, exactly, okay. yeah. Uh, it's confusing. It is right. a little confusing. Yeah. Uh, so you get a uh, you get a Clark and Bruce who are grown up, who are, who are best friends, dealing with this this new Clark and Bruce who don't like each other at all, uh, and who are very green with, with their abilities. Uh, it's a good story, and, it, and it's building to something I think is... I think it's building to something, it's not only shading in the past of the new 52 main earth but also the new 52 earth 2 in, in, in some ways as well it's it's there there's a there's a dark side thing happening that's going to come which is starting to rear its head here uh also some good one woman stuff in, in, in here as she kind of comes to she's in on the party with the she's you know the earth 2 one woman dealing with uh this reaction i think it's earth 2 they haven't really specified yet uh, the Jaili art is great. And then there is another artist. His name is, uh, Yildere Sinar. And what he handles, or she handles, I don't know, because I don't, I, I'm not sure, uh, Yildere, what name, that kind of name that is, but, um, handles the past of Bruce and Clark when they first meet when they're kids in this other earth. And it's this very classical, wow. wistful art style. Norman Rockwell. Norman Rockwell yeah. art style. Which is really great, and it really it's you think it'd be jarring between the two art styles, but it's not because it it gives you this sense of this is kind of this crazy current time and this much simpler past. Whereas if it was still Jai Lee, it would look like this is a terrifying childhood to have, you know, <laughs> yeah. because the barn has arms or something, you know, it has like <laughs> has spires on it, black uh, black tentacles growing out. It, of it. Exactly, exactly. So, but you get this moment where. Uh, uh, Alfred's car is broke down in Smallville, and Bruce and Clark just ha- like Jonathan stops to help Alfred, and then you know Clark and Bruce start playing with each other, and right from the start they have this you know friendship that's also a little bit of a rivalry, and you know uh, they it's this great moment at the beginning where kind of Clark is like uh, you know wants to Bruce wants to roughhouse a little bit because there's like a little standoff between the two, um, and. Clark is kind of very brash, but he's like, I'm way stronger than you. And he runs at Bruce and Bruce just flips him over his body. And Clark just smiles. And then they have this good repartee and young Bruce says to him, you know, you're, why are you holding back? You're much, much stronger than, than you're letting on. So it's a great Batman moment. Even when he's a kid, that's cool. Yeah. And you, and you get a really cool conversation between Jonathan and, Alfred about how even though they're having very different lives they're more similar than they realize those two kids hmm. uh, great writing by Greg Pak um, it's a confusing book a little bit and it, it took me a while to kind of get into the rhythm of it definitely but I love what it's doing with the characters and, and the kind of the quiet moments inside this big stuff that's happening in, in the kind of main oh, timeline that older stuff you're talking about sounds so charming that's it's incredibly be, charming should be more of that yeah it's incredibly know? charming oh. um uh staying on the dc side uh, aquaman number 23 it um i believe it yeah the death of a king is the name of the storyline that it's it it wraps up here in in preparation for for villains month uh after the events of throne of atlantis arthur has gone to atlantis to be their king but not everyone in Atlantis really wants Arthur to be their king. They 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 thought they found 
you know, his brother Orm was their king, and just because the surface world says that he did something wrong doesn't mean that he should be taken away from Atlantis. So there's like a revolutionary faction that wants to take Arthur down and wants to get Orm free. And in the midst of this, Mera ends up kidnapped by um, this ancient king of, of the sea that they're not really sure who he is and what he's doing. Um, and all around this, Atlantis is falling. and Ar- Arthur is fighting a war on many, many fronts. Uh, and at the end, we get a really cool uh, kind of jump forward in time that I wasn't expecting that, that I really liked. The best thing about this is that he gets back to, we got Mera and we have Arthur together and Mera is being an absolute badass. Um, we get layers of the resistance in, in Atlantis that you, that weren't there in the first couple of issues that you're kind of building towards. This ser- series has continued to be fantastic and this shoot, this shoot just struck me as, as being really great. Um, coll- the former Collider, now FBP, <laughs> uh, number two. Uh, I liked it even more than the first issue. Nice. We kind of get into the whole idea. They, they go into this. There's still a lot of exposition at the top, which is a little bit of a problem. I think they need to get away from that. Hopefully that's going to end now that we're in the thick of the story. But where they basically go into this alternate bubble dimension that that, that, that sprung up in, in the first issue. And it's got this strange mix of it's kind of Inception-y. It, it's kind of, you know, got like this it's hard to have like a matrix vibe to it because they're in this this mirror dimension that pops up because all these crazy stuff is happening with with their earth physics but it's a dimension populated by people but they're not really people they're just kind of mirrors of people who live in the real world and and, and so they, they they can talk and they can interact with you but uh they're not actual people and, and there's also a mystery starting to develop with the, uh, with one of the agents he there's something seedy going on with him so mm-hmm. it, it's a really cool story a really complicated story i don't want to spoil anything but people should definitely picking it up no matter what its name uh and this is a this is my book probably again it didn't come out this year or this week but it's uh lock and key volume five clockworks which i finally have uh, caught up with now i only have omega in front of me before alpha comes out and Lock and Key Clockworks, I've loved every volume of Lock and Key, one of my favorite series probably now of all time. This volume five is like everything I love about fiction put into one one comic book arc. It has all the stuff I love. It has, you know, time travel. It has alternate dimensions. It has, you know, connections of plot that go back hundreds of years. It, you know, it... It is definitely the most, I think, Stephen King of anything Joe Hill I've ever read. Um, and you in, in this, I guess, I don't know if it was in the last volume, volume four or volume five, because I read them both in about three hours. Um, but they really start to inter- introduce more of the Cthulhu-ness of, of what's happening in this universe. You know, it, obviously the name of the house, the name of the, the town is Lovecraft. So you you kind of thought that, but it never really seemed too much like that because it, it seemed more, you know, um, gothic, gothic th- than that. It, you know, it seemed very more straightforward, supernatural than that. But when you find out where the keys actually come from, then you start to get this other part, other layers on top of there, um, and the imagery as well is very Cthulhu. Uh, and w- what it it has 
multiple of the great moments where you kind of hit yourself in the head and are like, of course, that's what's going on. Of course, that's what that is. And they've changed up the way the villain is operating now. And it's all, it's just great. It's, it's my favorite volume so far. And I'm so excited to, to excited and worried about the end because I don't want it to be over. <laughs> uh, but it's amazing. Amazing, amazing stuff. And uh, if you guys haven't checked out yet, we're running a contest on the site. Um, design your own key contest for lock and key with IDW. And you guys should check that out because um, it's an awesome, awesome prize pack. So if you go to the site, it's sticky to the top. So you guys should be able to check it out pretty, pretty easily. We're not allowed to enter, are we? No, we're not allowed to That's enter. That's too bad. It's That's a pretty a awesome one. Prize yeah, I, would, I could yeah. really use Lock and Key Omega 1 through 5 right now, which is one of the yeah. prizes. <laughs> uh, and you also get a replica key, one of the prizes of replica key. So Signed. Yeah, well, signed. not the key itself, yeah. but the, the, the issues will be signed. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a really awesome prize pack. All right, so those are my books of the week. Um, we're going to talk about Trinity War uh, right now. Uh, before we get into spoilers, let's talk about general impressions because Steve and I have both read it. Bob, I don't believe you've read it, right? Mm-mm. Okay. Um, Steve, you just caught up with it all, right? In a yeah, chunk. I just just read it yesterday. All right. So we're going to get into the finer details and what you thought of the end. Uh, but in kind of generalities, what did you think of this crossover? Um, I think it's it, everything that's been going on in Justice League. I think Justice League primarily and Justice League America, it's all been leading to this uh, to event and to this moment. It was really cool to see some things that have been going on in the background of these books come to a head uh, within this story that you realize things that were going on that they, they finally pay off. In this, uh, people that haven't been reading Justice League or Justice League of America or Justice League Dark might feel a little bit in the dark about certain things that are going on. I think that it would be a tremendous help if you were reading these series beforehand. Um, But general impressions of it, I think it's a more or less an important read. I definitely would not say for me personally that it was one of my favorite events of this year because there has been many. Uh, but uh, it's, oh, it's so hard to get into. To get into, <laughs> It was, I felt, unfortunately, that a lot of what I was enjoying about the book or about the story, about the event itself, was bogged down by a lot of bigger personalities and the the main thing of this is i mean we can go over regular plot details yeah yeah absolutely yeah absolutely uh basically uh if you don't know pandora has been skulking around the dcu ever since the dc new 52 started you've seen her in various issues especially towards the beginning where you would see this ominous you know, red-eyed, cloaked figure in the background, you know, walking down an alleyway behind a dune somewhere. You don't really know what she was doing. She was basically keeping track, kind of like a watcher of Mm -hmm. of the DCU this whole time. And it turns out that she's basically, she's gotten a hold of Pandora's box once again, and she is looking for a way to end evil in the world by seeking out the person who she believes is the strongest and has enough enough good in them, basically 100% good, 
that will be able to activate this box and hopefully suck in all of the evil and end it once and for all. Mm. But of course, this is DC, this is the DCU, and it does not exactly go like that Mm. because as much as we hold our heroes in the highest regard, they have their weaknesses, they have their moments, they have their anger, they have their grudges, and as much as they try to bury them for the betterment of mankind, there are parts of even your greatest heroes that are very ugly. And this story is preying on that, that even even the the most towering of heroes can fall. Mm-hmm. And so essentially what happens is Pandora hands uh, Superman the box and says, you know, if anybody can do this, you can. And he doesn't necessarily want it. She forces it mm-hmm. into his hands, which I thought was very irresponsible on her part. Well, she's Pandora. She's not known for I know, her responsibility. I know, I know. It's the nature of her character. <laughs> but she basically just, like, shoves it into his hands. And that, of course, triggers the what happens throughout the event of that. We're trying to find mm. somebody who can help Pandora, who will then help the rest of the world. Mm. Unfortunately, the Pandora's box tends to get passed around a little bit during this Trinity War, kind of like the hot potato Mm -hmm. of the Trinity Mm -hmm. War. And, you know, when you have something that is that evil, it evokes evil. It's almost like the, uh, like, like the Green Lanterns, like the, you know, Larflees and the whole, you know, mine, mine kind of thing Mm -hmm. that once, once you're near Pandora's box, it starts to kind of infect you. Mm -hmm. And, it just it plays out like that but for me it it amounted to a lot of yelling a lot of big splashy pages of you know clusterfuck of all the characters on two pages tridents in the face and you know knocking out teeth and messing up hair and just I like that that's the last thing you say yeah <laughs> messing up the worst of all the worst they messed up wonder woman's hair no um my thing is, is that there was so much of that that I felt like 60% of the book, I was watching people yell at each other when underneath that, there was some really, really, you know, there was some good stuff going on and there was some good stuff going on that's been kind of going on for a while. And what I was mentioning earlier in the podcast about the whole Captain Marvel thing, how there was a second character that... um made me feel very conflicted this week was there's I won't talk about it because it's spoilers but there's a there's a twist there's a mole there's someone Mm -hmm. you know who's basically pulling some strings and when I found out who it was I was really really taken aback and I was I was hurt by it because (laughs) I really but that's that's the to me that's the genius of it because while I'm sitting there and I'm like well fuck you like that's (laughs) How could you? That's not cool. Like yeah. I identified with you. You were, yeah. you know, you were who you were. I want. I, I got to mm. try and avoid yeah. spoiler. Words. Wait a minute or two. You'll yeah. have a chance. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was just like, I really. And when that happened, I was so disappointed. But at the same time, I had to admire, like the fact that it did bother mm-hmm. me. That's the whole point. Yeah. That's exactly. what they. Yes. Yeah. That's what they try to do. Yeah. And sometimes it falls flat because mm. the event's too long, and you just mm. don't care at that point, or you saw it coming, mm-hmm. and it's not a big deal. This time, it actually was a big deal for me because I felt I felt wronged, mm-hmm. you know, and it was because of 
you know my my trust yeah. and enjoyment of this character, and I was like, wow, you are not who I thought you were. Damn you! <laughs> but at the same time, I kind of liked that I was deceived. Yeah, because you know, like well, that's, that's a good it's a good twist. That yeah. moment you're talking about is is a very good reveal. Yeah, um, you know, I felt I, I had the similar probably amount of enjoyment that you did with with the uh, with this crossover, but I think for different reasons. Um, I didn't like. It's called Trinity War, so there's going to be a lot of fighting. So I was I was ready for all all of the fighting and, and, and the hair messing and the hair messing. Uh, <laughs> my problem was that I felt as if there were threads that weren't tied that were introduced, and there were characters that were prominent in the first few issues yeah. that disappeared by the end of the book. Like the question is, is the driving force between like the first two issues of, of this book. Mm-hmm. And then the last four kind of disappears, uh, which is a shame because I thought Johns was writing the character very, very well. And then it's just gone. Um, I, I felt like we were dealing with, you know, it was, it, it was funny because it was done over the three justice league books, mm-hmm. but it, I, I felt like even it, it put over three books, it, it felt so scattered to me sometimes. And I was, I was, they were splitting up the team so much so quickly yeah. that I was forgetting like where, where oh, the Batman team isn't the same team that had these guys on it. And yeah. Superman isn't with Wonder Woman or is he with Wonder Woman or is Wonder Woman with Constantine? No, I thought Constantine was over here. So there was some stuff like that that just happened so quickly and it was, and it happened in in such weird chunks that I lost the threads of who was where. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, there was one point where I opened up. I think it might have been issue four, where I opened it up and I was like, "Oh, we're here now." Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I, no, no, it was a huge jump. Yeah, in in story, and like I like I said earlier before we were recording that. There were parts of the story that I would have liked to have seen that I was actually quite interested in more so than the main event that I would have to have bought, you know, tie-in issues of series that I haven't even been on my radar, mm-hmm. uh, Phantom Stranger for one, right? where he's very much a part of things, and then all of a sudden I turn the page and it was like one panel, like, oh, he's, you know, not he's not coming back, <laughs> and I'm like... Uh, I was kind of interested in that, but then that's where they would tell me, oh, we'll go by the tie-in. Well, yeah. 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 (laughs) The story's not about Phantom Stranger, that's why. But, uh, yeah, so it was was odd to me. The only tie-in I read was I read all the issues of of Pandora when it was coming out, and I actually liked those a lot. I think I'm going to keep buying that book. I have them. I I read the Um, first one and really enjoyed it, but I didn't read the tie-ins yet. when 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 it goes on from here. Um, so yeah, th- that's my general questions. And the end, I liked the end. Uh, I thought the end worked well. And, and look, this is not not an event in itself. It's a it's a it's a it's an arc through through the Just League books. So it set up the event that's to come, and that's fine. You know, that's what sequential storytelling does. So I was okay with that, and I liked the way it, it wrapped itself up. So that's our general impressions. We're just going to talk just a few minutes about spoilers here. If you guys haven't read Trinity War or you care about what happens at the end. And you don't want to hear the, the the couple of surprises that are there. You know, tune out. Uh, I'd say for the next five, t- let's say let's say ten minutes to be safe. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to be that long. Um, I, okay, so here we go. Spoilers from this point on. So, Steve, the big twist you're talking about is obviously the new Adam, mm-hmm. um, w- who initially 
we was revealed, and I think this is the genius of, of what Johns did, is he revealed her as a mole for the JLA. Yeah. So then all of your kind of, uh, your suspicion of her goes away, because, okay, that's, that's her, that's her hook. You know, she was on playing the both this sides, but you can't be the person that's kind of been hinted at that's a mole in the Justice League because she's already been a mole. Like, you know, it's not there. Right. Um, and plus she said she's a very likable character. You really kind of take to her very, very quickly. She's funny. You know, she's cute. She's got all that thing about her. And she turns out that she is the Adam of Earth 3. And that's why she's all of a sudden this new Adam that you've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, and the way that... the the way that reveals what she did to Superman and what she did to Vic, yeah. uh, to Cyborg, I thought was a great twist. It's I mean, a, it's a very, I mean, it's a good twist, but it was also executed really well. Yeah, in that, in the moments that it did happen, the panels that happened, it was very much like that, that DJ record scratch. Yeah, <laughs> when you, you know, you walk into the room, just like yeah. I just, I, I, I was like, no. Mm. No, like what? Oh, really? Oh, come on! Mm. I like you. I like you a lot, and you're you're the guy. Like yeah. you're the one doing all this stuff. Yeah. And at the same time, while I was taken aback and and insulted by being duped mm. by this character, like oh man, I liked you. I talked about you on the podcast, <laughs> and it turns out that you're the one, you know, screwing everybody and everything. But like, I almost feel. I was going to keep this part to myself, but I'll just say it because I'm thinking it. The type of character that she is, that she comes from like digital, you know, video game worlds and mm. stuff like that. That's, that's her deal. And she is very, you know, she's cute and she's mm. funny. It's very much the like comic book fangirl, like a lot of the people that we're friends with. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of my friends reflected mm. in that character that if my friends were to be turned into tiny little superheroes <laughs> that, you know, one or two of them would end up being like the Atom. And so in that regard, they got me, you know, all warm and fuzzy towards mm-hmm. the character and who she is. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. it's like one of my friends walking around in the Justice League. Mm-hmm. This is so cool. And then you find out that she's been doing you dirty the, the whole time. <laughs> and I remember like her coming in and I remember her in that, that uh, one issue where they're all sitting around the, uh, the room and the Justice League isn't there. Mm-hmm. And they have this really cool conversation. I'm like, ah, oh, I got to know you. I got mm-hmm. to trust you. You were around all this stuff when nobody else was. You didn't pull anything then or did you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also really, really like the idea that the whole time that she's been a part, that they were looking to expand the Justice League, that she came into the picture, that that whole time she's been the mole. She's been in there for that reason. Yeah. That it adds a really cool level of uh, rereadability mm-hmm. to her arc within the Justice League books. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, the the big reveal at the end is that Pandora's box isn't a box at all. It's a doorway. And the doorway, when it's open, lets the crime syndicate, which are all from Earth 3, correct, Bob? Mm-hmm. Um, out a- a- into the world, and now we have this force of evil that is here to take over the world. Um, you know, it's, it's a, I think it's a cool reveal. The only thing I know of them is that DC animated movie, uh, Crisis on mm-hmm. Two Earths, that they made. Uh, Bob, why don't you really quick just well, the crime syndicate? Sure, well, the, the, the animated feature which is based on the Grant Morris and Frank Quitely Quitely yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. the Earth 2 uh, graphic novel it's a slightly different Earth 3 than the other mm. Earth 3 they're, they were just criminals mm. they didn't own the world and in mm. the 
graphic novel and in that movie, they're in charge. Right. They're the reverse of the Justice League. Mm. So it's Ultraman mm. who, when he's, a, well, at least in the original back in JLA 2930, exposed to kryptonite, he gets new powers. Oh. So what happens there is he gets some kryptonite and now gets ultra vision and can see there are other Earths. Oh, okay. And they're bored beating up policemen and the mm. FBI and whatever. We'll go fight some superheroes mm. and show up here and basically lose badly to the Justice League. Mm-hmm. But they have a trick. Right. And they end up back there and then they beat mm. them and the JSA gets involved. Yeah. Uh, but they have, you know, Lex Luthor is a hero there. Yeah, he's like the only hero left, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they are really awful. So it's Ultraman, Superwoman, Power Ring, uh, Johnny Quick, mm. and I guess we now have an Atom to go with we uh, do. this and Owlman. Owlman, yes. Who is their Batman super brain, super smart, yeah. vicious, rotten, yeah. nasty person. Yeah. But it, all the strengths of the Justice League are theirs too. They're a team. Mm-hmm. They fight together. They don't bicker much among themselves, though mm-hmm. in the movie you see a relationship between a couple yeah. of the characters. Don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. They are a nasty piece of work. Now, what strikes me is if we have now said there's an Earth 2 and there's an Earth 3, or is Infinity meaning something else down the road here? Are we going to... More crises and... Mm, Who knows? Who knows? The box opens to other doorways and other dimensions. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, I'm really... I'm excited about it because it gives it a a nice infusion into their universe. Um, It brings back a little bit of that, you know, know, multiverse that they've been missing. Um... I think it will lead. Listen, I, I I personally think that these are the perfect characters for Jeff Johns to be writing. You know, I, I think that although they are, they're not super famous characters, they're not very well known characters, and they're not characters who have been around very much. So I, I think those that's the perfect set of characters for him to be writing, and I, I'm I'm very very keen to see what they do. Yeah, in well, the universe. they're both recognizable and a blank slate at the same Ex- time. Exactly, exactly. And especially now, I mean, he can do different things with them because it's a newer mm-hmm. three. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what that's all that's going to be. And like I said, uh, the Trinity War thing, it's hit or miss for me. Um, for me, it doesn't really bother me because they're not they're all books I was buying anyway. So I'm like, this was an okay story in these books. And now I get onto this. I, I'm excited for the event. I, I really am. I, I, I like the way Johns writes events, so I, I'm excited to see what comes of it. And it's a cool twist. You know, it's not heroes fighting heroes. It's villains. You know, they're going to fight heroes. So very novel. <laughs> we don't see it much anymore. Yeah, yeah. And we're getting it with Marvel, though, too, right now. We're getting, you know, we're actually getting a lot of people who used to fight with each other in uh, Infinity fighting against a, a bigger threat. That was one of the things so, I, for, I forgot to mention cool. earlier that I was really enjoying about Infinity was yeah. the idea of them working with everyone. Yeah, really and cool. seeing everybody. It reminded me of uh, Phantom Menace, unfortunately, <laughs> when they're in that you know citadel with all yeah, of the yeah. different... Uh, the Galactic Senate. Yeah, that's it. The, the Galactic <laughs> Senate. And I just... I was like, wow, like they're in the same room and they're not going for each other's throats. That's yeah. so cool. Like everybody basically had that meeting off page mm. where they're like, look, we all know who this is and who we're dealing with. And if we don't pull together, none of us are going to be around. Yeah. And you don't like that. We don't like that. So let's just, you know, curb it for a, for a few moments and yeah. deal with this. And then we can go back to our regular, you know, tit yeah. for tat. Well, there's that great one with Spider-Woman. 
where they're like, Jen, let them help you. They're on your side right now. Yeah, you know, yeah. when the scrolls are trying to like help her out and she's fighting them. What is, uh, I, I, what is Bob? Do you know what her deal is with the scrolls? Yeah, it's from Secret Invasion. She was kidnapped by the scrolls and was taken away for years. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Now so that'll do it. Doesn't like that'll them. That'll do it. Does not like them very much. All right, so that's the end of our talk about the Inter-Trinity War. Um, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about DC's Villains Month. We are back, and we're here to talk about DC's uh, Villains Month. Obviously, you've heard uh, our opinions about the kind of financial strain that it's going to cause on a lot of people's wallets and maybe the the bad business moves that they might be making here. Uh, but this is not really about this. is more like a guide for you guys to know what's coming out and hear what we're interested in, um, what we're going to be picking up, and you know what teams we think are cool to be on, on what books. And then we're also going to talk about our favorite DC Villains um, of all time. So, uh, let's get started right off the bat. Um, it, it's, you know, it's this Wednesday, it's starting. So, uh, you guys can go ahead and pick up some of these books right now, but you know, obviously we start with forever evil. Number one, uh, written by Jeff Johns with art by David Finch. Uh, we talked a little bit about that and being in our excitement level for that before. So we'll skip that one and we'll go right into the, the villains months books. Right. Cause we're back to spoilery stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And next week we're going to talk about forever evil and the events that happened in that book and we'll get into it. Um, so if you guys want to hear about that, we'll definitely do that then. But here, let's let's start out. Um, I'm just going to go in the order of the solicits, which I think are actually by book, um, starting with Justice League. Uh, so Justice League 23.1 is a dark side book, and it's written by Greg Pak with art by Paolo Squicaria. Um and it says, for Darkseid, Lord of Apocalypse, you conform or die. Now born into his realm is an anomaly who looks to challenge that, a trickster, who will go to any length to survive, even if it means sacrificing worlds to do it, leading to an earth-shattering confrontation between the Man of Steel and a Dark Lord. All right, so that's, that's Darkseid. Um, first thoughts? Steve, what do you think? Uh, that would actually be my first exposure to the character, if I were to pick it up. Um, it sounds intriguing. I don't know that I'll be getting it, but it definitely sounds like a cool story. Mm. I really like Greg Pak, and I've been liking what he's been doing mm. on the Superman versus Superman versus Superman Batman. So that's why I'm leaning towards picking this up. I mean, what do you, th- what do you well, think? Well, they're about? starting with their biggest gun, yeah. in essence, in Darkseid. He's their biggest villain in terms of cosmic scope and all mm. the rest of it. Yeah. So why not lead with your heavy hitter? Yeah, and uh, Thanos is kind of copied right off the way Darkseid looks. Yeah, and there, there was a whole joke about that where well, jim starlin did that in college apparently oh really and he did a couple of those characters and uh initially he didn't look quite like that he looked more like uh orion i guess it mm. was and roy thomas said well if you're gonna rip off the new gods make them look like dark side just go for it <laughs> yeah um which is pretty funny um justice league number 23.2 um as we said, some of these books have multiple. I think Justice League has four. I think the max is four for any of these books. Max is four. Um, and 
the way it's working is they're still only putting out 52, 52 books in the month. It's just that there are going to be multiples of some books and none of others. Um, but as you're going to see as we go through this, a lot of the writers who would be writing those books slide over to do one of the point issues of these other titles. So Justice League 23.2 is Lobo, written by Marguerite Bennett with art by Ben Oliver. Deep in the dark corridors of space lives a black-hearted being of unimaginable power. He's witnessed horrors beyond description and committed unparalleled evils. In all of, history, all of history, no being has ever been capable of as much chaos and terror as this lone individual. This is the story of the man called Lobo. He's coming, and he's bringing all of hell with him. Sounds very happy. <laughs> Len, is it a Len Wein character? Lobo? I believe far enough back, yeah. He was, as I recall, he was... Re- he was created to be a parody of Dark Heroes, who's now become the thing he was making a joke of. Right, right. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I don't really know much about the character. I'm not re- that interested in him. I've seen him in some of the animated shows and stuff, and he seems mm. kind of cool. I know he has a pretty big following. You know, he's mm. got kind of like that Deadpool. Oh, he's very much a Deadpool sort of character. Yeah. So I think here he's a little more serious, sounds yeah. a little darker. Yeah, the, 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 the redesign looks a little bit... You know, the old version of Lobo is very big, very muscular, very much looked like that kind of parody yeah. you were talking about. And the, in, in the new 52 redesign we've seen, he's very much slimmed down, you know, very, you know, a little bit... He's gone you know, to Subway. Yeah, gone to Subway. He's, he's, he's eating fresh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the team, Margaret Bennett just worked on the Batman annual that came out, the, oh. this, this last one, number two, uh, which was an okay story. I uh, didn't love it, um, and th- that combination. I like Ben Oliver as an artist, but that combination with a character I don't really care about is not a book I think I'm going to be picking up. Yeah, non-starter. Yeah. Um, so next on the list, we've got this is Dial E, uh, written by China Melville, uh, with art by a ton of people. I'm not going to read all of them out, but there's there's art by Mateus Satolaco, Jeff Lemire, Jock, Alberto Pointicelli, David Laplam, and Ricardo. Berchiello and others is what it says. Um, you can't stop dialing. In a special Villains Month coda to the fan favorite Dial H series, a lost E dial is discovered by four young criminals on the run in Littleville. But who is chasing them, and will they figure out how to control this nefarious dial before it's too late? Hindsight is twenty twenty. When you're sprinting through dark alleys, this issue features twenty new villains, twenty pages of creative insanity, and twenty top artists, each drawing a page of the action. Damn. So, Steve, what do you think about that? I that sounds pretty ambitious yeah. to me. Uh, I would. It's funny that was not on my radar uh, even a little bit before you just read that out. But now that you have mm-hmm. it, uh, I love the idea of each artist getting a page. Even even for the sake of discovering a new artist, I don't know that I'll that I'll buy it, but I'll I'll certainly take a look at it in the store. And if uh, if enough of the pages look intriguing and the story uh, itself looks cool, I might pick that one up. Yeah, I had absolutely no interest in this book before I read the description. That seems like a pretty cool idea. It seems like a, a you know a fun thing to do. It's, it makes it sets it apart. It doesn't make it superfluous it makes it like oh look at the different book that's out on the stands mm-hmm. right now all these cool artists yeah, some uh, of the previewed pages looked funny too yeah. they looked more lighter in tone interesting considering that the china melville dial h was really dark mm-hmm. it's as if it flipped it's on its head the dark yeah. book becomes lighter for villains month right mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it seems uh it seems like a pretty cool idea to me uh, so it's something i might check out and wrapping up the justice league uh, main titles 23.4 is Secret Society which is what we've been seeing in the Justice League books leading up to Trinity War mm. this kind of shadowy organization that's been 
um, you know, recruiting villains and will obviously probably definitely come to the fore here with Forever Evil. An army of supervillains has been built throughout the New 52 during 2013, but for what purpose? Learn about the villains that have paved the way for the world of Forever Evil. It's written by Jeff Johns and Sterling Gates with art by Manuel Garcia and Rob Hunter. What do you think, Steve? Sounds like something that you got to pick up. <laughs> if, uh, if I mean, if you... If you read Trinity War, if you're down for Forever Evil, they are a integral part of this whole event that I would think that you would, if you're going to be delving into these books, that would be one that you'd have to pick up, right? It seems like it, right? It's written by Jeff Johns. It, it deals with what who's been his main villain for the past, I don't know, five or six issues of Justice League. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely has that feeling to it, right? Um I mean, if they're like if they're the the, the puppet masters of this whole thing, then yeah. Yeah, I mean, you want to know Marvel, sorry. yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I just like if if you if you want to know more about them, that seems like a good place to start. Absolutely, no, and you're absolutely right about that. And I'll probably be picking it up. Look, it's it feels more like a core title because it's Jeff Johns, the regular writer of the book, writing it. So I'll probably be picking this one up. Do we know who's in this society, or is it a secret? Um, we've seen a little bit of it. We see, they definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, they recruited. I think we saw them recruit uh, Scarecrow at, yeah. at some point, definitely. Um, and there's other characters that have kind of been rolled into it uh, throughout these past couple issues. Yeah, I mean but, they they kind of they they showed you in that one issue. I can't remember of what book, but they they showed you where they were starting to bring people in mm-hmm. but they left they left a large portion of that list to you know to mm-hmm. the wind just so they could you know surprise you with villains later i think yeah i think so too mm-hmm. um uh justice league of america now number 7.1 which is deadshot written by matt kent by art by pasquale ferry is it a death wish that makes floyd lawton put on the mask of deadshot or is it something more sinister pulling at floyd when he becomes a relentless assassin feels nothing for his victims discover the truth behind deadshot's secret history in this issue uh, deadshot has been a big part of suicide squad yeah right see um any interest in this character i have interest in the writer not in mm. the character uh love matt kent i'd like to see what he has to add but i get scared of these issues that you put a, a really top-notch writer on a book that i don't necessarily have an interest in i buy it because of the writer the writer makes me like that character and then i read something else and it falls flat right um Mm. not to say that that'll happen every time but deadshot's one of those characters that if i if i don't get to know him better it won't change my life in Mm. any way uh but the idea that matt kent is writing it does intrigue me so that's an on the fence purchase for me. Gotcha. Deadshot's a character I actually kind of love. So really? yeah, 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 he's in the animated stuff. And that's why I, I started oh, see, getting I, to him. I know him. The my most recent dealings with him outside of Suicide Squad has been in the Arrow television show. Yeah, he is an Arrow as well, which I like yeah. him in that show, and he's also in uh, the Arkham games uh, oh, as right. well. Um, so he's a character I really like, and Matt Kent's a writer I really like. So this is a definite for me. Maybe I'll hmm. borrow it from you. Maybe you <laughs> shall. Ooh. Um, let's see here. Justice League of America 7.2, Killer Frost, written by Sterling Gates, art by Derlis Santa Cruz. <laughs> Not every villain is grateful to the Secret Society for ridding the world of the Justice League. For Killer Frost, only one thing matters, feeding off Firestorm's energy. But with Firestorm gone, a desperate Frost is forced to decide whether she should search for the missing hero or find a new source of her power fixes. Um, Who are we talking about? I've never heard of this character. Killer Frost. Isn't she... She's in... Um, isn't she in Crisis on Infinite Earths? Isn't she like the one that... She gets her like feelings for Firestorm flipped? 
and she ends up like in love with him, but she's really his enemy. It's in one of those crisis books. Don't, don't remember that at all. It's in one of those crisis books. I'm sure. Um, I don't really have any interest in that character. Um, and I, since he's been in Justice League, I have liked Firestorm more and more um, with Jeff Johns handling him. But uh, And actually, the story seems kind of cool to me, but it's definitely not one I can afford to take a flyer on. No. No. Not no. at all. Um, I do like, it's funny, I do like Firestorm inside of, of Justice League as opposed to the, the, the nuclear monkey. men Firestorm. Yeah. Um, but I always, it's funny, he's two people, right? It's two people merged into one yes. thing. Yes. I feel like the other dude's always getting, you know, he's always a floating head. <laughs> you know, like when does he get to, to do anything? Well, it's always been that way though, right? Yeah, but he doesn't have his own book anymore, right? Not anymore, no. Well, no. so then you don't get to see that other guy. You're out of luck. <laughs> yeah, you're out of luck. Um, Short end of the stick on that <laughs> Yeah, one. sorry. I can't remember his name. Right I now. gotta use the bathroom, man. <laughs> um, I'll make you a pee into yeah. diamonds. <laughs> I'll go for both of us, dude. Don't worry about yeah. it. Um, Justice League of America number seven point three: Shadow Thief, written by Tom DeFalco, art by Chad Harden. Where is the line between duty and villainy? For the new Shadow Thief, duty. there is no question. Her mission to eradicate all alien life on Earth is above questions of morality. Armed with technology that allows her to become a living shadow, the Shadow Thief wages a covert war across the globe. But how long can she stay in the shadows before they consume her soul? <laughs> I don't know who that villain is. I remember soul. an old Shadow Thief. So sort of a guy with a top hat. So probably, this is probably the new one, then, I guess. Yeah, I have, and that wasn't his mission, but... <laughs> Tom um, DeFalco, old-time Marvelite. Yeah. Well, you know, editor-in-chief for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's writes been, characters well. Yeah. His, I don't know about this. He did a little Nightwing. He did a little Superboy. And I didn't really connect with any of the, the new, mm. newer stuff he's been doing. Um, mm. So it's not really... A, this is These are the kind of books that if we get into like the weeks and someone goes, Oh my God, did you read like this Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of that. I think there yeah. will be too. And then I'll be like, okay, great. I'll be like, I'll call Rob and be like, Hey, Rob, put it aside. <laughs> Hopefully, I hate to, that's the thing with going through this list is that I hate to sit here and be like, meh, whatever. Yeah. And that could happen. Yeah. You know, there's always room to be surprised and for word of mouth mm-hmm. or for what our fans and listeners to come to us and be like, hey man, look, you really need to go back and you need to, you know, check out Killer Frost. You need to check mm-hmm. out, you know, Shadow Thief. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't mm-hmm. wait because listen, there's 52 of these books. We're not going to be able to read them all. And I, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident between our entire site of, of, of contributors, we'll read almost all of them. But, you know, you guys are out there and you guys might be picking up certain books because you like certain writers or you're just picking up all the books in a series and maybe we're not. So if you guys like some of these books and end up loving them, let us know because I, I don't want to miss books that are great it, it, just because, you know, I might not initially be excited by them um justice league of america number 7.4 black adam written by jeff johns and sterling gates art by edgar salazar where is black adam and what series of events is triggered when the secret society attacks kandak discover all of this and much more in this issue um i am definitely picking up that book because i've been i love the stuff that jeff johns did with shazam in the just league backups so i am there for that book 100 percent Big fan of Black Adam. I'm a little concerned only in that he was very dark, very dark when the Marvel family was, if not the C.C. Beck 50s and mm. 40s Captain Marvel. I mean, 
Black Adam did some really bad stuff. Right, yeah. In a new darker universe yeah. with the villains in control, <laughs> what could he possibly do? Now? I know, I know. It's this a little bit. Be, it's, this could be bad. It could be bad. He's a great villain, though. Yeah. He's a really great villain, and so I'm definitely going to pick that up. <laughs> um, Justice League Dark number twenty three point one, The Creeper, written by Anne Nocenti, uh, art by Chris Cross. Freed from his mystical prison, <laughs> the Creeper walks a path littered with gore and misery, and there may be no way to stop him. Many will be caught in his web, including Justice League of America's Katana and Jack Ryder, the Creeper's unwitting human host. Where will the Creeper strike next? Um, I don't know who that character is. Steve Ditko created him okay. many, many years ago. He was sort of between a hero and a villain. Okay. Yellow outfit, mm. cape, shock of red hair. Green mm-hmm. hair? Red hair. I forget. <laughs> Depends how it was colored. Yeah. Um, really creepy character pun mm. intended um i don't know Chris Cross. i thought one of them died recently <laughs> so i don't know um nice. the artist is really good he did that bloodshot zero issue that matt kent wrote he's done some other oh. stuff too he's a really good artist um a horror vein yeah it can definitely film? get something okay. a little bit creepy on there and nocenti she's the catwoman writer now she did some green arrow stuff for them uh, I just don't really like her writing very much, so I mm-hmm. don't think I'll be picking it up. Um, Justice League Dark 23.2, Eclipso, uh, written by Dan Didio with art by Philip Tan. The powerful Black Diamond has been seen causing trouble in different corners of the New 52. Now you will learn its secrets as it lands in the hands of the host it was always meant for, and the full power of Eclipso is unleashed. Who's Eclipso, Bob? House of Mystery <laughs> back in the 60s. I think his real name was Bruce Gordon. This is like turning into our trivia. Thing, I know, I know. <laughs> um, the power of the black diamond would make him into a bad guy. You know, gotcha. The moon would shine through the diamond, if mm. I'm remembering correctly, and it, half his face would go. It was one of the few books DC did run by, with a villain as the lead. Hmm, interesting. You, you've both seen the movie uh, Stephen King's Dreamcatcher, right? What, the butt aliens? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I always, whenever, whenever Bob has to go into his, his mind vault, I always think of that movie <laughs> and, and the guy walking around with the file cabinets mm-hmm. of all the stuff that he has logged away. And Bob's like, like little Bob inside of his head, just like flipping <laughs> through the folders really quick and picking it out. Yeah. This is a clip. So it's right here. It's in the A's. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't think, I, I don't really like Dan Dedeo's writing very much. Uh, mm. And that has nothing to do with my thoughts on as, as a publisher. I just have never liked uh, his writing before so not very interested in that at all um though i am interested in these next two aquaman 23.1 black manta uh written by jeff johns and tony bedard art by claude saint aubin set loose as the secret society's plans unfold black manta is shocked to learn that aquaman may be dead without the object of his hatred how will Mon- how will manta claim his final vengeance against the man who killed his father where will one of the most lethal villains alive turn his rage when he begins a new mission? I know he'll have vengeance. He won't go to his funeral. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll offend your family. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thing. I love Black Manta. I think he's awesome. He's sleeping with the fishes. Yeah. <laughs> and he's been great. He was great in the arc that he was in yeah. in Aquaman. So I'm totally up for that, as I am for Aquaman 23.2, Ocean Master, uh, written by Jeff Johns and Sterling Gates, art by uh, Geraldo Borges. Ocean Master is freed from Belle Reve and wants no part of the Secret Society. He just wants to go home to Atlantis. But he has a long, bloody journey across the surface world in front of him, and he might not make it back. 
Um, 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 I look at these two as the ones that are most essential to someone who's reading the comic in in question. Absolutely, absolutely, because because Ocean Master not being in prison anymore is going to happen directly after the last issue of Aquaman. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is a very, yeah. especially that one I think is going to be. Yeah. The yeah. one, you know. And your regular series writer on exactly, both. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm on for, for Black Manta and for Ocean Master, definitely. Yeah. Um, the Aquaman villains, and we'll talk about this a little later when we do our list, have been a, 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 a revelation to me in the New 52 and the way Johns has, has written them. Um, Earth 2, number 15.1, Desaad, written by Paul Levitz, art by Yildere Sinar, who did the art, the back, the, the other art in um, Batman Superman, which I mm-hmm. talked about before. Um, as a member of Darkseid's inner circle, Dasad is the apocalyptic god of fear and pain. And since being stranded on Earth because of the events of Earth 2 number 1, Dasad has looked for a way home. He has the means in the form of boom tomb technology, but could not power it until now. Rah. So, yeah, Bob, you he, he, love- stole, he stole some stuff from Karen Storm. Gotcha. Stole some her quantum tunneler. Mm-hmm. Which they were using to go get back home. Right. So, Bob, you love Paul Levitz. Yep. Um, any interest in this book? Nope. Why not? Because <laughs> Desaad really hasn't been that good a villain. Gotcha. It's, it was a nice little sidebar mm-hmm. that it expanded into issue after issue after issue and just never really went anywhere. Now I understand why, I guess. You know, probably four issues back, it was, well, we got to get to here. Right. So we'll just have him do stuff and disappear and come back. And, mm. Yeah. Eh, I, so if I pick it up and the art looks as... It was the... Old story. Yeah, the wistful art in the that I might mm-hmm. just just for that because that art you showed me looked something that I could deal with because mm-hmm. honestly, World's Finest the art's been miserable for the last four months. Mm-hmm. So to see some of those characters, perhaps the, the, the supporting cast, right. drawn in a human way, would be nice. <laughs> I'll put a question mark. World's next finest impossible spines. <laughs> yeah. Um, World's finest Escher girls. And Earth 2, number 15.2, Solomon Grundy. Born oh. on a Monday. Born on a Monday. Written by Matt Kint, art by Aaron Lapresti. La uh, Grundy hates green, he hates life, and he hates Green Lantern most of all. So, what made Grundy this way? Find out in the secret origin of Solomon Grundy. Um, what do you think about that, Steve? Again, a big maybe. It's Matt Kent. Uh, what I've, what I've been exposed to with Solomon Grundy, I've enjoyed. He always makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of a like a Frankensteinish, yeah, kind of uh, mm-hmm. villain. So that's a that's a big maybe for me. I'll probably end up picking that one up. Mm-hmm. What but, do you think um, of Solomon Grundy? I like the old Solomon Grundy, yeah. who was if oh boy, we're, it's. Green Lantern number 10 from the mm-hmm. 40s. I actually wrote that down because he's on my list. Um, that didn't come out of my head, folks. The magic of radio. Um, he was a condemned prisoner, wandered into a swamp, and mm. some chemicals got in him and turned him into Solomon Grundy. Right. Who was actually immune to Green Lanterns. The ah, Alan Scott Green Lanterns gotcha. power rate could gotcha. bust through the force bubbles and whatever gotcha fought the justice league a gazillion times when they started doing the crossovers Mm -hmm. he showed up a lot interesting he's sort of a cross between frankenstein and and the early hulk yeah 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 yeah. a little more vocabulary than frankenstein except for bride up i guess yeah (laughs) um now we have the flash ones flash 23.1 grod written by brian bucciolato art by chris batista 
Grodd believed he was destined to become the bearer of light until the Flash raced onto the scene. What will Grodd do now that the Flash has disappeared with the rest of the world's heroes? Conquest is on the horizon as the world becomes forever evil. <laughs> Bob? Has Grodd been around in our new 52? Yes, he has. What does he do here? Um, he's does Gorilla Grodd stuff. You know, he has okay. like his, his, you know world of his, t- his city of monkeys that he like okay, it's of. all the same stuff yeah it's all the same stuff basically except i don't know because i didn't read much of him in the old continuity he was trying to kind of harness the power of the flash at the same time and like they have they kind of worshipped like the speed force in the gorilla garage's oh. world they, they kind of tied him to the flash a little bit that's more that's new yeah I'd like to see gorillas run. That could be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is some stuff where he runs really fast. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, the Francis Manipal art is great on that stuff. Um, uh, Flash 23.2, Reverse Flash, written by Francis Manipal and Brian Bucciolato, art by Francis Manipal. Um, now, they've changed the origin. They've changed Reverse Flash in the 52. He's like a totally different character. Discover the, uh, oops, I went past that. Discover the untold origin of Reverse Flash. Who is he and what is his relationship to Barry Allen? Secrets are revealed and questions answered as we race through the history of Reverse Flash right through to Forever Evil. Um, I'm interested in that one. Um, you know, I'm interested in all, the, all these kind of rogue books because I like them a, 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 mm-hmm. as characters. And this is the real team from the book. Which has been hit or miss for me, but uh, I, I like it enough to, to pick it up on, on, on this one. Um, now, he was the cause of the Flashpoint? Yes, thing? he was in the old continuity. Yeah. But they've done something different with him, which I'm not really sure about yet. Obviously, right. we, have no, we don't know his origin yet, so we don't know what's going on. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. Um, the Flash, number 23.3, The Rogues. Written by Brian Bucciolato, art by Patrick Zercher. The rogues have their rules and their ways of doing business. So what do you think of the Secret Society's claims that the Justice League is dead and the world's villains need to unite? It's a culture clash that won't end quietly. Does it say who? Or um, just the usual... Just the usual rogues. They're the same rogues okay. this time around um, as they are in the... In in the old continuity, pretty mm-hmm. much, they still have their same tailor whose name eludes me. I don't I don't know if they have the tailor or not. I liked him, but they're both they're all kind of the same. They're all kind because okay. they did a big arc in the Flash where kind of the city they were all fighting with the, trying to beat the Flash, and then the city became you know came under fire. I think it was actually from Grodd. Grodd was trying to take over the city, and they were like, "Well, this is more important, so we're just going to fight Grodd off, and then we'll worry about fighting." Honor among again. thieves. Exactly. There you go. See, that's reason to like those guys. Exactly. I'm definitely going to pick that up as well. I like those characters a lot. Um, Green Arrow, number 23.1, Count Vertigo. Written by Jeff Lemire, art by Andrea Sorrentino. Get set for the twisted origin of Count Vertigo. Why is the Count in Vancouver on the hunt for Green Arrow, and what could it happen to make him such a sadistic adversary? Uh... I've been really liking the Green Arrow stuff that Jeff and Lear has been doing. Uh, it's the it's the team, it's the regular team, so it's obviously just the next issue in in the series. So I'd say if you're picking up Green Arrow, it's probably something you should pick up. And Count Vertigo, the way that Sorrentino does the art in that for him is crazy because obviously you can tell what his power is mm-hmm. by his name, and it's because it of some really trippy stuff. Mm-hmm. Steve, have you been reading Green Arrow? I haven't. I actually I dropped off, uh, off of it after they wrapped up uh, Lemire's first arc. Okay, uh, it was just it was just getting in, mixed up in all the mm-hmm. books that had to go. Uh, I do, however, love that team. Mm-hmm. That may, maybe if I check it out, especially I like the nature of the villain. Mm-hmm. That if they're going to be doing like lots of trippy. Uh, like fisheye vertigo stuff mm-hmm. that could be like spirally. Yeah, well, that's points. what it will be like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that could be especially with Sorrentino on art. That mm-hmm. could be really, really cool. 
Uh, who knows? Maybe that'll be the book that uh, makes me jump back onto the series. Cool. So you, you think maybe that I'd have to be reading it to like get uh, the full picture? I don't know. Because they, D- they DC- kind of claim that all these books you could pick up and read them and not have to be on the series. Yeah, because DC doesn't really do a great job of of telling you where they were before you're reading the current issue. No, but I think they've kind of said that this, you should be able to pick up most of these issues and just kind of read them and, and enjoy them for what they are. All right. But I um, mean, we'll see. I mean, Count Vertigo just gets introduced, I think, two issues ago. So there isn't a lot with him yet. Um, will a 3D Count Vertigo cover trigger lawsuits about epileptic seizures? Maybe, yeah. Maybe it will. Um, Wonder Woman number 23.1, The Cheetah, written by John Ostrander, art by Victor Ibanez. The Cheetah has clawed her way out of Belle Reve and is hungry for blood. But before she steps up as one of the Secret Society's most powerful generals, she has a personal score to settle. Learn the truth about the cult of Hippolyta, her vendetta against Wonder Woman, and just how far she'll go to prove that she's the most dangerous predator on Earth. The Cheetah. Great villain. Yeah. John Ostrander writing her. John Ostrander, obviously a very veteran comic book writer. Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know which cheetah this is at this point. There have been four. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't know the history of One of them's well a guy. No, it's a girl. No, one of them was. But I'm saying this one's a girl. Okay. <laughs> this one is definitely a girl. Um, she seems to have kind of the classic origin of the character when we've seen her in Justice League and stuff. I don't, I don't know if we've even seen her in the Wonder Woman book. She's itself. been in Suicide Squad so. as of late. Oh, she has. Yeah, she okay. was locked up in Bell Rev, and then the last arc where they actually took over Bell Rev, she was let loose. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and Wonder Woman twenty three point two, Firstborn, written by Brian Azzarello, art by. Ako, A-C-O, the firstborn of Zeus, Wonder Woman's oldest brother, has returned to claim the throne of Olympus. But it's been a long and bloody road to reach this, his destiny, and you won't believe the horror when you meet the rest of Wonder Woman's extended family, in quotes. Um, so there you go. Uh, I don't think any of us are picking up the Wonder Woman title, right? I don't think so. No, well, I've, been, I've been picking it up, but I won't be, I won't be getting the Forever Evil Titans. You, you won't be? No. Have you been reading it every month? I haven't. Okay. No, I am. I, that's one of those books that I've been collecting because of the character that I have mm-hmm. not read. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've heard all kinds of things about it from both ends of the spectrum. One mm-hmm. day I do plan to sit down and form my own opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I've been picking it up because it's Wonder Woman, and hopefully I can enjoy it. For 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 take it for what it is when yeah. I do when I do sit down and read it. Um, so uh, next is Action Comics twenty three point one Cyborg Superman written by Michael Allen Nelson art by Mike Hawthorne. Deep in space sits a cybernetic force of evil unlike any other. What terrible connection does Cyborg Superman share with Krypton? And what alien force commands robotic terror? Find out here. When I hear the name Cyborg Superman, I just kind of want to laugh. So mm. I and I've never really thought the character was very cool at all. No, no, so I'm no. kind of out on that one. I laugh even more when I hear the name Michael Nelson and hear about robots. I, I think right from <laughs> Mystery Science Theater 3000. That's, that's pretty just, funny. That's just me. Um, Action Comics 23.2 is Zod, written by Greg Pak, art by Ew, Ken Lashley. General Zod storms into the New 52. Witness the origin of this genocidal maniac and learn how, how far he will go to destroy those who oppose him. Um, like Never. Greg Pak? Yeah. I like General Zod as a character, so that might be one I actually pick up. Um, Action Comics 23.3 is Lex Luthor, written by Charles Soule, art by Raymond Bermudez. Evil genius, sadistic businessman, sociopathic inmate. Lex Luthor is all this and more. Now released from prison, there is nothing to stop Luthor from getting his way. Not even Superman! (laughs) That seems like a pretty essential one if you're going to want to be 
in the Forever Evil yeah. Villains Month type yeah, of milieu. Yeah, I'm, I'm digging the idea of Charles Soule writing a, a Lex Luthor one-shot. That sounds like fun. Yeah. I mean, I love Lex Luthor as a character, so I would I always like to read that stuff. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Snyder bits have been pretty good yeah they've so been far. really good and they've, they've been little but they've been they've been yeah. really really good um in 23.4 action comics is metallo written by Shali fish art by will conrad before he became metal zero john corbin had two great loves his country and lois lane awakening from a coma after the events of action comics number eight corbin finds himself betrayed by both and now his, crypto- his kryptonite heart beats only for revenge and when he joins up with the secret society there's no limit to the destruction he can cause um, I don't yeah. know anything about that character. Fan. Yeah, the robot guy with the kryptonite heart. Yeah, well, I, I got that from that. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing special. Goes, it's from the seven, late sixties, early seventies. Gotcha. Nothing special. Um, and then more Superman. We got twenty three point one Bizarro, Charlie Fish, art by Jeff Johnson and Andy Smith. Um, Lex Luthor's sinister plan to manipulate Superman's generic genetic material to create a mindless soldier under his control results in the monster known as Bizarro. Opposite of Aww. Superman in every way, with no compassion, no remorse, and no mercy. That's not bizarro. <laughs> they were funny. They lived yeah. on a square planet and yeah. you know, did dopey stuff and wore medals that said one, two, three, four, whatever. Bizarro, Lois, and Perry. And it's true. It's me true. am bizarro. Me am bizarro. Um, <laughs> he's a monster. Yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, he does fight Superman sometimes. Oh, well, because he's annoyed. Yeah. He's nothing he's a... special. Yeah, I know. No. Um, I do... You know what? I'm not gonna. The, the description of it makes it sound very dark. I'm gonna definitely when it comes out. I'm gonna look inside and read it because I do think I do like reading Bizarro stories in in, in short in short doses. Because sometimes that writing that way gets on my nerves, like having to write everything <laughs> backwards and opposite. This is definitely a book. One of the ones I'll pick up and look at if if it if it makes me laugh in the first couple of pages. I'm gonna pick uh, it up. I'd go with that. You know, if it doesn't, that's that's fine. But that's not the Bizarro story I kind of want to read. So I I'd, I'd rather just push it off to the side and save my money for something else you anything about bizarro steve i keep thinking of that seinfeld skit where they're talking about <laughs> bizarro She's like shouldn't it be bad by <laughs> no <laughs> um in regard to buying it no i won't be okay uh brainiac was superman 23.2 written by tony bedard art by pascal alix brainiac was the first adversary superman fought on earth but where did he come from a lineage that spans the universe holds many secrets when we ask who is Brainiac? Um, I like Brainiac as a character and not really interested in the origin story because no. I've read it other places and, and and so I don't need to get it from there. But he's a cool character. Who is he now? He's the same. He's. I mean, I don't know what the same is anymore. Wires in his head? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. They, they've changed him up. When Jeff Johns was writing Superman, I guess, I don't know how long ago that was, he did a, a, a mini, like a, 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 a an arc called Superman Brainiac, which is fantastic. Um, and it deals with kind of Brainiac's history with Krypton and where he came from and what he did and his responsibility for, you know, um, like the Bottle City and, and stuff like that. So I'm assuming they're probably keeping a similar origin to that. And that's a great series if anyone wants to check that out. Um, Superman 23.3 Hell, written by Scott Lobdell, art by Dan Jurgens and Norm Rapmund. Um after his last battle of Superman, Hell wakes up on Krypton years before it's destroyed. Can Hell manipulate the Science Council, soldiers, and countless others, including Jor-El, to save the planet? And what does it mean for the birth of Superman if he succeeds? Um, I kind of like the idea of that story. Like him doing something seemingly good to do really just something evil. Uh, but I don't like that character at all. No. I l- yep. I'd love to support the creative team. 
Right. But I can't because yeah. that hell book was what stopped me buying a Supergirl. Yeah, me too. Terrible. Yeah. That's what got me off that book as well. Same here. Was that hell event. Um, so uh, Superman number 23.4 is Parasite. Written by Aaron Cooter, art by Aaron Cooter. Aaron Cooter is known to be, an, I mean, I, I, I think he's independent stuff, but he's taking over, I believe, the art for action when Greg Greg Pak takes that over as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Parasite, noun, an organism that lives in in or on another organism, preferably Superman. Um, he looks like a sponge with a big mouth. He does, yeah. He absorbs energy and, and yeah. power from other people. Uh, and he, you know, when he's around Superman, he gets really, really, really strong. Uh, there's a really good issue with him in that All-Star Superman um, series that was done uh, where Clark is interviewing Lex Luthor in prison and Parasite's in there and he starts growing all big and huge and no one can understand why. Mm. That's because Clark is there. Um, Batman Superman number 3.1, Doomsday, written by Greg Pak, art by Brett Booth. Long before Superman fought the unstoppable monster known as Doomsday, the beast's reputation for death and destruction haunted the Man of Steel's home world of Krypton. Um... I'm definitely going to pick it up because it's Greg Pak again, um, and I really like Brett Booth on art. Long before he fought Doomsday? Wait a minute. I'm confused. Did he <laughs> fight Doomsday in the new 52? Uh, yes. Oh. But we've never, we never seen it, but it's one of those events that carried over because he has oh. died and come back to life because um, he mentions it in a couple, of, a couple of books. That would be a good thing to mention. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Um, and now we get into the Batman stuff. Here we go. This uh, is where Bat- I start agreeing. Yeah, Batman number 23.1, The Joker, written by Andy Kubert, art by Andy Clark. The story, The Joker has forever been the face of evil in the DC Universe, but what led him on this devious path of treachery? Andy Kubert pens this early adventure showcasing the me- uh, the maniacal exploits of the crown, the crown prince of Gotham, The Joker. What do you think, Steve? I think I'll be picking that one up. <laughs> I love The Joker. Uh, creative team sounds cool, and I like the idea of seeing an old Joker story. All of that appeals to me. Yeah, I'll pick it up too because mm-hmm. it's a Joker. Um, I don't know about any Kubert as a writer. I just don't know how good of a writer he is. I don't think I've ever read anything he's written before. Um, I must have somewhere. But yeah, not, nothing sticks. I like his art quite a bit. And it, yeah. like, it kind of makes me wish I was on art duties. Um, Andy Clark is also a, a good artist, but it's a weird creative team for me because I'm excited about one of them, but not. Because of the job he's doing, you know. But also pick it up because it's a Joker, and um, I, I I do like Andy Kubert. Um, Batman twenty three point two, The Riddler, written by Scott Snyder and Ray Fox, art by Jeremy Hahn. With the Dark Knight out of the picture, the Riddler engages in an epic game of wits. Learn what maddening early moments led a young Edward Nigma to evolve into Gotham City's Prince of Mischief, and see how events of Zero Year continue to affect the Riddler today. Uh, that's an absolutely. Oh. Yeah, for me, yeah, um, for sure. Scott Snyder obviously has zero year implications. I've been waiting him to really unleash on the Riddler this whole time. The zero year stuff has been good when we've seen him in there, but this is going to be full on Riddler. So yep. I'm excited about that. Totally. Um, Batman twenty three point three, The Penguin, written by Frank Thierry, art, art by Christian Duce or Deuce. I don't know how you say it. Um, Follow the Penguin's latest quest for power as he prepares to undermine one of Gotham City's most powerful politicians. What does the criminal mastermind stand to gain? Steve, in or out? Uh, Right now, I'm out. Okay. I'm out because I don't know that a Penguin one-shot is going to be enough to satisfy me. I really, really enjoyed uh, last year's Penguin uh, Pain and Prejudice. It's two years ago. 
Is it two years? That's when we started oh, the show. Oh my god, it's been that long. <laughs> yeah. All right, so it was two years ago. Yeah. Uh, anybody that's never read that before, it is very good, very very good. And if I want to read a solid Penguin story, I would I would just pick that up and read that again. Um, however, if I do hear that it is good. Uh, I would check it out, but him him going after a politician and and more quacking around Gotham. I don't really know if that I. It's not necessary to the whole event. I don't need to read a side story with Penguin right now. Mm-hmm. So, I'm you. I'm kind of there with you. Yeah, uh, the Pain and Prejudice was very good in a very different take. This does not really seem like a different take. This uh, on the character. So many. There's so many Batman villain books that I'm probably and I'm going to end up picking up against my my better judgment. But <laughs> Penguin's probably not going to make the cut. Gotcha. There are only seventeen, right? No, <laughs> seventeen Batman books. Well, only seventeen. Yeah. Got them while they're hot. Um, <laughs> the next one is Batman twenty three point four Bane, written by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Graham Nolan. Ooh. Um, and if my thing would go into landscape mode, I could actually read it for you, but it seems to be a little bit stuck. Oh, I hate when that happens. Uh, I can read you part of the description. Batman is gone, mm-hmm. and the inmates... Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's still not reacting the way I want it to, though. So, Batman is gone, and the inmates of Arkham Asylum are r- Gotham City with one goal, to take it over no matter who... That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. I got it. Um... Uh, Batman is gone and the inmates of Arkham Asylum are running wild in the streets Bane is in Gotham City with one goal to take it over no matter who ha- he has to break Steve <laughs> yes or no uh, I I really have been enjoying Peter J. Tomasi on Batman and Robin mm-hmm. so that's one of those take a poke inside uh, you know see what the art's like and quite and that's it's a it's a strong maybe it's a strong, strong maybe. maybe. I do really, really like Peter J. Tomasi on writing. Uh, so that's probably going to weigh out, and I'm going to pick it up. Yeah, I'm there with you. Um, yeah. I like Bane. As, I don't love Bane as a character, uh, but the writer is very, very strong. So it's that definitely leads me to our yes on that one, mm-hmm. which goes for the next one as well, which is Batman and Robin 23.1 Two-Face, written by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Gillam March. Two-Face's approach to join the Secret Society, which side will his coin land on? That's probably going to be a definite for me. Yeah, definitely. Two-Face is a character I like much, much more. And again, Peter J. Tomasi. Thumbs up from me. Um, Batman and Robin 23.2, The Court of Owls. Written by James Tinney in the fourth, art by Jorge Lucas. The Court of Owls takes stock of the New World Order created in the wake of Forever Evil. What horrors will they unleash in order to maintain control? That's interesting. Instead of going backwards, we've had so much of their backstory. Yeah. Moving forward. Moving yeah. forward. That's an interesting idea. And considering some of the events of the Eternity War and a certain character who's now in the DCU, it would be interesting to see how they react to that person if mm. they actually interact. Mm-hmm. Um, I like James Tinian when he's writing the backups in the Batman books and when he's kind of has like, when he's with Snyder, all the solo stuff I've read by him, as far as the DC stuff, I know he writes some indie stuff as well. I just haven't connected with. I, I thought it was okay, but not great. And so I'm worried that this will be the same thing. Though they are a set of characters I really want to know more about, so there's a possibility I might be picking it up. And he has been writing them now for a better part of a year when with the Talon series, so I'm sure he has a handle on them. Steve, what about you? I'm... Uh, Court of Owls, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I am. First of all, I love the cover. I saw the cover, the the family all together in kind of like a sepia yeah. tone, uh, yeah. pho- old photograph. Very cool. Uh, I would like to. You know, I, I probably will end up picking that one up because I was really enjoying the whole like uh, creating the the mythos of the Court of Owls when Scott Snyder was doing it. If that's mm. gonna. I know that's kind of broken off and they're doing the whole Talon thing and kind of exploring it a little bit more uh, from that vantage point. But I would like something, again, that involves the entire society as a whole. Yeah. Uh, I think could be really interesting. Yeah, me, me too, me too. Um, and Batman and Robin, number 23.3, Ra's al Ghul and the League of Assassins, written by James Tinney in the fourth and art by Jorge Lucas. Excuse me. Um, the origin of Ra's al Ghul in the New 52. For centuries, Ra's had a plan for his world, for this world, and now he is faced with an offer from the secret society that could help him achieve what he wants or undo everything he has worked for. Which path will the demon's head choose? Um, same thing goes for that. I went for the last one. James Tinian, I'm, I waffle on. Love Ra's al Ghul. Love him a lot. I just don't know if he is the writer I want to see writing that book. That's the only thing for yeah, me. Yeah, one's a pass for me. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't he just kill the secret society and move on? Yeah, you would hope so, right? Yeah. Um, do something useful for a change, yeah. Roz. Mm. Um, uh, this one is a surprise for me because I didn't know the team on this one, but I'm definitely picking it up now. Batman and Robin, number 23.4, Killer Croc, written by Tim Seeley, art by Francis Portella. Tim Seeley is who is guy who writes Revival. Um, oh, ooh. As the battle for Gotham City continues to build, the scales become unbalanced when the ferocious killer croc enters the fray. That's one of those times. Not a character I really care about, but I love Tim Seeley. So I, I think I'll be definitely picking that up. Um, Was killer croc just in that Batman 66? I haven't read Batman 66. Okay. They said they're bringing him in to, the, yeah. to it. Yeah. So I haven't been reading it, but yeah, they're supposed to bring him in. I personally, I mean, I love the creature type villains from yeah. the Bat universe. So I'll probably be checking that one out. Cool. Um, Batman the Dark Knight, number 23.1. Bob enters the fray with this one. The yes. Ventriloquist, written by Gail Simone, art by Dareless Santa Cruz. Yeah. The origin of the Ventriloquist is revealed. One of them has powerful telekinesis, and the other is a cold-blooded murderer. But who's the real dummy in this act? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. Yeah, Batgirl 20 and 21, uh, just amazing. What a creepy mm. character. Yeah, I'm, this is the one I'm definitely buying. This yeah. is the one DC I'm buying this month, folks. And again, this is one of those times where you look at it and you go, okay, people who read Batgirl and love Batgirl, you have no Batgirl this month, but you have this book, which is a Batgirl villain written by the Batgirl writer. So this is a place you can go for that fix. And maybe you didn't realize that and maybe you wouldn't even look at this book, you know, if you didn't know that. So, you know, make sure you look at the teams. Batman the Dark Knight, number 23.2, Mr. Freeze, written by Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti, art by Jason Masters. Mr. Freeze takes his obsessions over the line when he sets his sights on his newfound family and getting revenge on Batman. Sounds pretty standard, Mr. Freeze. Mm-hmm. I like Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray, um, but I don't think I'm picking this book up. If you added Amanda Connor to that, yeah, I'd buy that. Mm-hmm. Without. Right. <laughs> Sorry. I'm out. You're out? I'm out. Um, Batman the Dark Knight, number 23.3, Clayface, written by John Lehman, art by Cliff Richards. It's the biggest audition of Clayface's life as he attempts to impress the secret society and join their ranks. Desperate to prove himself over, uh, m- himself more than a monster, Clayface sets a scheme into motion that quickly unravels. Will he make his mark or dig his own grave? I love Clayface. 
I just hope against hope that they can do something different with him instead of just putting him in ice or he just, you know, melts into a drain somewhere. <laughs> if you can do something other other than that with him, I might check it out. I really do enjoy him as a villain and, and the way that he morphs around. You never know who he could be. And, uh, but we'll see. That's a, it's a shaky maybe for mm. me. And I'm surprised I'm saying that because I really do like him, but I don't mm. know. We'll see. And John Lehman is the current detective comics writer. He's also the guy who created Chew. Um, he's yeah. writing the Clayface book. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that he's doing one of the points on the Dark Knight book and not on the detective, but I, I don't quite know how they decided to split those up. But Batman the Dark Knight, number 23.4, The Joker's Daughter, written by Anne Nocenti, art by George S. Gennetti. The Gotham Underground is quickly becoming a base of power in the DC Universe. After the destruction of Arkham Asylum, the Joker's Daughter is gaining hordes of followers across a terrifying and brutal landscape. In a world where ugly is considered beautiful, what dark intonation writes, initiation rites befall this madwoman's new recruits. Um, and that's written by Anne Nocenti. I said that already, Barb, by Georges Gennetti. Um, I don't really have any interest in that book at all. I, I, I do have interest in it just for the introduction of a, of a new character, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize that Anne Nocenti was, was on words <laughs> and, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't fill me with excitement. Yeah. I mean, I don't oh. think, I don't think she's like, she's not a, I wouldn't call her a bad writer. She's not a writer that excites me at all. That's, yeah, well, that's stuff, exactly you know? what I mean. Yeah. I mean, you know, nothing, nothing personally. Yeah. I just, I haven't, from what, what I've read of hers has either been passable or no interest for me so far. Mm-hmm. Now, I have heard this book is in short supply. This yeah, is, this is one of the ones that's, apparently it's sold through a reprint already. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those books that's gonna, be probably snatched up by people the day it comes out and it'll be on eBay very, very soon yeah, af- after that. One of those, again, one of those introduction to, yeah. a, new, to a new villain. Yeah. Well, sadly, the, these books are on eBay already. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Some of them three weeks early are, are really? on eBay for, yeah. Wow. With, with declarative sentence, well, my store is definitely getting me one of these motion covers, so mm-hmm. I'll sell it to you for just $30. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that there's there's I don't know what to expect from her character. I kind of the reason I would most likely pick that up is because I want to know firsthand. I don't want to get an impression from someone else, but if she turns out to be some kind of like college girl, radical, annoying, cliche thing, I'm going to be really upset. Um yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny the 3D motion covers, we're not talking about those or not, but I'm really when when they come out. I hope that Rob has enough of the 2D covers because I don't care about 3D covers. I'll pay the dollar less, yeah, and yeah. and get the story that I want to read. I don't care about the 3D cover. I um, think we'll be taken care of. Yeah, um, uh, and next, if not, curtains. Detective Comics number twenty three point one. Poison Ivy, written by Derek Fridolfs, uh, art by Javier Pina. For too long, Poison Ivy has played with men's hearts and been a pawn in their games, too. But no more! Now that Batman is gone, she will grow into a force of nature unlike anything Gotham has seen before. Steve, you love, you love the, lady, the ladies of Gotham. I do. Unfortunately, I am not feeling any love for Pamela in this issue. <laughs> uh, I, have not, I have not had any... I really haven't, haven't been reading Birds of Prey. Haven't seen her all too much in any of the other Bat titles. Mm. I mean, I've seen her on covers, but I don't think that I read those issues. Uh, no. I'm going to just go with no. Do we know the creative team at all? I don't know the writer. Um, 
Steve, if you want to, you want to Google his name yeah. for me while I, I keep going here. I mean, so uh, honestly, so much of the decisions as to whether or not to pick these up are the creative teams. It's like we yeah. we tell people follow follow writers, not characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, and so so much of these these forever evil books tie into who's actually putting them out. Yeah. So, all right. So, what am I looking up here? Derek oh. uh, Friedolfs. F R I. D O L F S. This is real time research, folks. Yep. You're seeing it right here. Um, the F- next one, I believe, is going to be a yes for you, Steve. Oh. I can almost guarantee it. Is it Harley Quinn? Detective Comics number twenty three point two. Harley Quinn, written Woo! by Matt Kent, art by Neil Googe. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dark Doctor. If Doctor Harleen Quinzel wasn't crazy when she fell for the Joker at Arkham Asylum, she sure was messed up afterwards. Find out more from Harley's time with her beloved Mister J, and see what got her into so much trouble that she had that she was recruited for the Suicide Squad. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I'll be there for that. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Absolutely. I love. I think Matt Kent's really great. So I'm. I'm in for that one. And I like Harley Quinn. So, in Detective Comics number twenty three point three, The Scarecrow, written by Peter J. Tomasi, Ooh. art by Sismon uh, Kurdansky. <laughs> See the new Gotham City through the eyes of the Scarecrow. It's Arkham Asylum unleashed on humanity, and it's all the Scarecrow has ever wanted. Whoa! Looking at a picture of Derek Friedolfs. He's a. Uh, He's quite the dude. <laughs> he, uh, I should probably talk into the microphone. Yeah. Uh, wow. The the print is really small. Uh, it looks like he's been a he's been a writer on uh, Batman Beyond Unlimited. Okay. That's been going on. Uh, Batman Arkham City, which okay. we've seen in the stores a lot. Mm. Batman Arkham Unhinged. Okay. Uh, he was a contributor. Uh, Batman Little Gotham. Oh, okay. So he's been working on that. A lot of the digital titles then. He's been, yeah, he's Streets have got lots and lots of, almost all Bat titles, and he he even did a uh, Zatanna, Shades of the Past. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and Justice League Beyond, Constriction, Constriction spelt with a K. All right. Edgy. Ooh, cobra. Yeah. La, 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 la. Um, so, Steve, I think you're in for the Scarecrow, written by Peter J. Tomasi? Oh, yeah. You'll know why when we get to my list. Yeah. Um, Detective Comics, number 23.4, Man Bat. Written by Frank Thierry, art by Scott Eaton, and Jamie Mendoza. Dr. Langstrom has given into the man-bat side of his personality. Left unchecked in a world without heroes, he brutally stalks prey in Gotham City. If Langstrom won't stop himself, who will? Um, Peter? I don't know. Yeah, I like, <laughs> I like the man-bat stuff in the Batman Inc., uh, yeah. and, and the other Grant Morrison Batman stuff, but he's not really a character that I very much kin to. I'm in, like, I'm in agreement with that. Yeah. Unless it's Neil Adams drawing it, no interest. Gotcha. Although I do love his episode in the uh, Batman the Animated Series. It's the first episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, uh, Green Lantern number 23.1, Relic, written by Robert Venditti, art by Rags Morales and Cam Smith. Who is Relic, and why must he kill every being in the universe who might wield the light of the emotional spectrum? Relic's power could be the most formidable force lanterns have ever seen. This issue story incorporates Rags Morales' recent variant covers from Green Lantern, Green Lantern Corps, Green Lantern New Guardians, Red Lanterns, and Larifleas. Now with inks, full colors, and script. Um, I guess that's the new villain in the Green Lantern universe. Yeah, I suppose up. I dropped off of Green Lantern after... Uh, I have I have the issues. I just haven't read them yet, so I can't really comment on that one. Um, Green Lantern number 23.2, Mongol. 
this one I'm kind of interested in because of the team. Uh, written by Jim Starlin, art by Howard Porter. Deep in space, an unstoppable force is committing genocide on galaxy-wide scale, and only the strongest will survive. Be warned, because nothing can prepare you for an all-new w- war world under the absolute rule of the tyrant called Mongol. I like Mongol. I think he's a he's a cool villain. Who's he again? He's the guy who runs... He has like this... He has this planet that's basically a giant warship that he... Oh. And he, you know, he 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 pilots, and he um, he looks a lot like Darkseid or one of those guys. He's got that same face, and um, he at one point he is the one in um, I don't know if you've ever read uh, what do you get the man who has everything, which is that Alan Moore um, Superman annual that he wrote, where they come to the they actually did a Justice League episode of Justice League about it, um, where uh, Batman, Robin, and Wonder Woman come to the Fortress of Solitude for. Christmas or Superman's mm-hmm. birthday to give him a present. And when they get there, he has like this parasite on his body and it's making him see what his life could have been if Krypton never ended. Oh. And Mongol did it to him because once if it, you know, it can eventually lead to him dying or whatever, or just being stuck in this trance uh, forever. Um, it's a really cool story with him. So he, he's a, he's a cool character. And he was also in a bunch of young justice uh, as well um, near the end. Hmm. Yeah. He was, you know, the young justice when there was that war world, orbiting the planet and it was going to destroy I never got to see the tail end uh, okay. of Young so, Justice he's in that as well um, Green Lantern 23.3 Black Hand written by Charles Soule art by Alberto Pointicelli in a world with no heroes death lies behind every turn Black Hand arrives to take advantage of forever evil and he may be the most dangerous player yet and when last we saw him Black Hand was a pile of dust in the dead zone how did he manage to return that's a definite for me yup I love Black Hand, at least the way John's always wrote him, um, and I like Charles Soul quite a bit, so yep. in. Definite. Um, as for this next one as well, Swamp Thing number 23.1, Arcane, written by Charles Soul, mm-hmm. art by Jesus Saez, or Saez, I don't know how to say Sace. his name. Sace. I don't think it's Sace, but... Sees. Um They screw up my last name all the time. Screw up his. Steve C. <laughs> Dude, I said somebody, I was on the phone with them, and they asked me what my name was. I said it to them very distinctly, and they immediately repeated it back to me wrong. <laughs> Ooh, then you hang up. That's pretty funny. Sag. Oh um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, oh, I missed one of the, sorry, yes, I missed didn't. one of the Green Lantern issues. Sorry. I wasn't going to say anything until the end. I thought you'd catch. Yeah. Um, Green Lantern number 23.4. This is the most important one. Sinestro, written by Matt Kent, art by Dale Eaglesman. Years ago, Sinestro used his Green Lantern ring to utterly dominate his home planet of Krogar, all in the name of protecting. My phone just keeps changing the landscape. When the hell did Matt Kent become like such a player in this whole thing? That's like ridiculous. I know. Um, his people, in the, in the sake he that turned his name into a curse and brought down the greatest Green Lantern of them all, but one never-before-seen moment from those dark days holds the key to his future. Um, that's a definite for me. I uh, love Sinestro, love Matt Kent, so I'm in. I'm in. Um, next is Arcane. Bob, do you also have these solicits in front of you? Or just the just the names? Just names. Just names. Because yeah. my phone is acting like a, 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 it won't even scroll! <laughs> um, You're down to the two Titans books. I know. I, well, Arcane, which I thought before, behold a being so vile and deadly that even the Parliament of Decay could not control him. Now take a journey to a place beyond hell, the personal prison of Anton Arcane, plus the return of the Rot's new avatar, Abigail Arcane. Ooh, so there we go. Ooh, That's hey. the Swamp Thing. I'm definitely getting that because Swamp Thing has been awesome. Yeah. Uh, did you catch up on it? Yeah, yeah. I've been all caught up on it. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's awesome. Good. L- love it. Cool. Um, 
And I can't. This is not working. So what's you have the team uh, for the last two? Titans twenty three point one and Trigon. Mm-hmm. Who's uh, a demon, right? I sounds like he should be. It's yeah. more of Wolfman and someone named Kafu. Oh yeah, Kafu's good artist. Good artist. Okay. Um, it's pretty cool that Marv Wolfman is writing a Teen Titans book. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Um, I'm definitely now, gonna pick, I'm probably gonna pick that up just because of that. That's a shame if George Perez hadn't left. I know. From it would studios, awesome. you could have put him on there. We could have had a return to the, the you know the uh, God, what's that thing I read the one with Deathstroke and and uh, Terra, um, the Judas, Judas contract, yeah. yeah, the Judas contract, which was awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, Twenty three point two of the Titans is Deathstroke. Hmm. With speaking one, of it, <laughs> uh, Duma Woodshaw, Angel Valera, Angel Rivera, I can't even read it, and Maury Tot. <laughs> it's like two writers, two artists. Help me out here, Steve. Oh, dude, I'm the pers- wrong person to ask for that. Corey Mays, Duma Wurschuk, W-O-U-R-S-C-H-U-H. I'm going to look at it. You can't read that. I can't read that. And I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're all right. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. That's his new name. <laughs> that's his name <laughs> from now on. Wh- whoever's name it is. Right? Yeah. Whoever you are, that's your name. <laughs> um, all right, awesome. We went through all of them, all 52 titles. So you saw what our kind of opinions were. If you guys heard anything there that we kind of dismissed that you're interested in, please at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, or um, podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. Now, we went through those lists of villains. Let's talk about our favorite DC villains. Um, Bob, I want to start with you. You have all this research in front of you. Sure. Obviously, you, you – you reached back into your mental filing cabinet, as Steve was and, saying before. Um, what do you got for us and then, and then the real ones. Yeah. Now, we are talking the top five DC villains not named Dan Didio, right? <laughs> oh, boy. Womp womp. I just had to do that. Anyway, at number five, going not as far back as I'm going to eventually, it's the Brotherhood of Evil huh. from the Doom Patrol, who uh, it's... Arnold Drake and Bruno Premiani back in the day. And the Doom Patrol were basically, they came out a month before the X-Men. Hmm. It is three oddly uh, mutated characters. It's hmm. a lasty girl who could stretch and negative man who has a negative energy power guy inside him, robot man, and a really smart lead character in a wheelchair. Charles now, Xavier's. Well, the, the hubbub at the time was obviously the X-Men is stolen from the Doom Patrol, but with lead time right, in yeah. comic books, it was just one of those things where it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, every, No one had says that uh, they did it on purpose, and right. Stan or Arnold Drake. Arnold Drake would eventually write the X-Men. That's pretty funny. Which, yeah, that's pretty good. But uh, the Brotherhood of Evil are in a ton of issues of this early Doom Patrol, and it's the brain who's a disembodied brain in a, in a bucket and sometimes mm-hmm. on top of a robot. Monsieur Mala, who's a talking smart ape with a gun, which, <laughs> is, which you have, have to have. And Madame Rouge, who's, who was a spy and eventually gets superpowers to stretch her body and change her face. So being a spy when you can change what you look like, mm. it's, it's mystique, yeah. only years and years before. Uh, eventually, Madame Rouge would fall for uh, the chief, Niles Calder, the guy in the wheelchair. She'd switch sides. She'd get brainwashed back. But in getting brainwashed back, spoiler alert for a 45-year-old book, uh, <laughs> she's not happy with what the brain did to her, so she kills them. She mm-hmm. just blows them up with a missile, 
which then she still met at the Doom Patrol and at at the Chief. So she captures them, flies them. They get an island so they can be away from all this. They get to an island. She captures them, finds a way to negate their powers, and strikes them a bargain. And a and something that never much happened in comic books. The bargain is this: you can let me drop a nuclear bomb on your head, or I will kill this town of fourteen people in Maine. Oh. They choose the hero thing. Yeah. And die in Doom Patrol number one twenty one. Wow. The, the the robot man would come back four years later. The others stayed dead for years and years and mm. years. And so a set of villains that can take out the hero and kill them and they stay mm. dead, they get to be on my list. They're at number five, the Brotherhood of Evil. Very, very nice. nice. Very, very nice. Um, Steve. Okay. My, uh, my fifth spot is also a sort of collective or malevolent force within the DCU. Uh, my number to five spot is actually going to go to the Rot from Animal oh, Man. Good one. It's a good one. Yeah, I um, I love creatures in comics. I love villain creatures, hero creatures, anything that is monstrous or something animal related. They're always a lot of fun. And when Animal Man came along and the Rot came onto the scene, I mean, it's you know I have a, a huge huge part of my growing up and a huge part of my history, especially with my father, is uh, about all about the horror movies. We watched horror movies until the sun came up all the time. And any time that I've seen the rot uh, throughout the Animal Man and, and the New 52, it always sends me back to that time. And there's something, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, they could be anything at any time. They're, you know, they're a force throughout the entire universe. And they just keep coming, no matter how much you know, they've done to beat them back. They seem to always, they're just like, they're sleeping and they're, they're always lying in wait and coming back. Very, uh, I always mention this name, but John Carpenter with the thing, uh, that Mm. remake with the thing inside the prison cell and the Mm -hmm. dog splitting apart and the, the severed head with the spider legs coming out. All of that stuff reminds me of the rot and it just, it's a villain that, to me, is or a group of villains or a force within the DCU that is a huge threat. I mean, you saw what happened in Rot World. Mm-hmm. I mean, how it, it, cor- it corrupted everybody. Everybody was running around as like you know uh, decomposing zombie-like versions of themselves. It's definitely a force to be reckoned with, and visually. Uh, with the artists that have been on it has just been a real joy for me personally to watch them on the page. I have a lot of fun with them. Yeah, that's great. And it, it's actually a great segue into my number five, which is Anton Arcane. Nice. Who is the avatar of the rot in, in that, in that, and obviously the kind of number one chief Swamp Thing villain. Uh, he's just a nasty, vile, evil dude. Yeah, he's real twisted. Who will do anything. They will kill anyone and 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 ruin the entire world to get his own sadistic way, um, and the balance of that with Swamp Thing and and his his obvious, he's all about growth and life and rebirth and uh, I love the dichotomy those two characters have and the way he's written in that Snyder 
slash Lemire run is just he he left a big impression on me in the last two years of reading those books. So he's my number five. Excellent. And goes he goes that character goes all the way back. Right? Yeah, that's his, like yeah. original like Len Wein like creation uh, you know villain. Yeah, he he is the I think he's if he's not the first, he's one of the first villains yeah. of of Swamp Thing's history. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, Bob. Uh, okay, from Green Lantern number 10 in 1943. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Mm. Uh, Vandal Savage, the immortal villain. I like Vandal Savage as well. He's a cool villain. Uh, came back here in Flash 137, which mm-hmm. brings the two Flashes together for the third time. Uh, he's Vandar Agd, who is a Cro-Magnon man, who 50,000 years ago fell asleep in front of a glowing meteor. <laughs> Like you do. Like, like you, you do. do. Yeah. What it does for him, it makes him immortal to the point that he has been in his life Cain, Caesar, Jack the Ripper, Alexander oh. the Great. Yeah. So he's incredibly smart, yeah. incredibly rich, and incredibly ruthless. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. He's a pretty awesome villain. Yeah. He's pretty cool. It's cool, too, because he's not necessarily he's usually a bad guy but necessarily is not always a bad guy you know he can be other things as well which is interesting about him like he's in that demon knights book he's one of the characters in demon knights and he's not a bad guy at least at the beginning of that book right um so it's pretty cool he really wants the world remade in his order yeah 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 yeah, yeah. which you know it's dr doom promises order yeah yeah. It's not the order anybody wants to live no, in, but no, no, that's, no, 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 no. he's just trying to do good yeah. in his own head, which what makes a great villain. They yeah, have to, exactly. They have to be convinced they're right. Yeah. He's also a great villain in Young Justice. In that first season of Young Justice, he's a pretty cool villain yeah. in that as well. Um, yeah, that's a great choice. Um, Bob, is, Bob, is, Bob is going against my expectations right now with his, his mm, picks. Mm. Um, Steve. I, I love how every pick comes with a mini history lesson. Well, it's, that's, what, that's, what, that's Bob's thing. I know. That's I awesome. Know. All right. Some listener wrote in and told me to tell you that he could listen to you talk about Fantastic Four for hours, which he has. <laughs> if, 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 he's, if he's buying the wine, he can uh, yeah. sit somewhere. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's my future. I'm going to sit in a park somewhere and talk to people about uh, perfect strangers and pigeons or whatever about yeah. Fantastic Four. Yeah. I remember when. <laughs> Sue Storm, what do you do that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm Nobody sorry. ever understood Ben Grimm like I do. <laughs> <laughs> and those days might be just around the corner. Is all I'm going to say. All right. So my, my number four spot uh, goes to Black Hand from Green Lantern. Cool. Ooh. Awesome. Yeah. A little surprise. I was eh? surprised by that. Ooh. Yes. Steve's mixing it up. <laughs> um, I really do. I, I Black Hand. Left a, I mean, you're talking about impressions. How arcane? I mean, arcane's great. Mm. I really, he was, he was a huge contender for my mm. list. Um, but I gave his spot to Black Hand just because of the impression he left on me when while reading Blackest Night. To me, he's he's like the necromancer of the DCU. Mm. He's just this nasty, evil, evil, evil son of a bitch who. <laughs> Is just his his power, his whole thing, where he has he has the black ring, he commands death, and he's just he's standing over uh, Hal's father's grave, and he's just like, I'm I'm gonna bring your dad back, mm-hmm. and Hal's like, Don't you you don't know, <laughs> yeah. like, don't do that, and yeah. he just rise, mm-hmm. and I <laughs> like I jumped out of my seat, I was like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I, I, there, there are 
few things that I could do that I could think that a villain could do mm-hmm. where they could hit you so hard in your in your heart then if your if your backstory is that you have this tremendous connection to your parents and they died in, in whatever fashion yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter yeah. you know they're your mother and father um just the balls on him <laughs> and the the atmosphere that he creates i i really enjoy i i remember when i was i was reading green lantern and it started off with the sinestro arc and it was really entertaining it was really great and it, i really coming off of blackest night and into jeff john's dc 52 i loved loved green lantern mm. when i was reading it and then in the second arc when he moved into the stuff with black hand I was I was like I was so pumped. I was mm. like, yes. I was like, he's back. We're gonna mm. have more. And even that story was really good. Yeah, it was great. Um, but he hasn't really been around since. Yeah. Or at least I don't think he has. Well, no. I mean, he was there pretty much the end of the Green Lantern run. Yeah. But since the end of John's run, no, he hasn't been anywhere. Right. No. So yeah, with him with him coming back, even if it's just a one shot or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I love the character that much that I will definitely be picking up that issue. Uh, he just has such a great presence to me, and w- w- with all the people that Green Lantern has dealt with, that that I've seen him deal with, to me, he's been by far the most interesting and the most menacing. Awesome, yeah, awesome. Um, my number four is Black Manta. We just we were talking about it, nice um, earlier. I like uh, him too. It's been mostly again. This is New Fifty Two stuff, but the Jeff Johns take on the character, and again, what Bob was saying about villains. Black Manta isn't doing what he does. He's like, I'm a bad guy. He is doing what he does because he feels like it's the right thing to do. And he's it's partly revenge and it's partly this needs to be taken care of. And I I love that about the character. I love that he's just kind of like a dude who has figured out a way to be a formidable opponent to this superhuman being um, that could crush him if he was just a normal guy. Uh, I love that. And also... So, with villains, sometimes half the battle is their design, and the design of Black Manta is fucking awesome. Yeah, you know, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, so it, it goes a long way because you, when you see something and you're like, "Wow, like that's either imposing or scary or badass," it fills in so much of a, a character without even having to, to say a word or do an. Action. I love it when you can't see him mm-hmm. and you just see the red eyes and yeah. the bubbles coming out from yeah. either side of his mask. Yeah. It's a great, great image. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Bob, number three. Okay, number three uh, from Wonder Woman number <laughs> six in 1943. It's the Cheetah. Oh, there we go. Ooh. Uh, this is the original one, Priscilla Rich, uh, who is a rich person. She's a debutante, regular. It's a very those, inventive name. One of those, yeah. Priscilla well, Rich. <laughs> well, William Moulton Marston and Harry G. Peter, we got to blame him. He was going for symbolism, one yeah, supposes. Yeah, yeah. She's hosting a benefit for, you know, the, the war bonds and whatever, and she gets ignored. She, they won't applaud for her, they don't do anything, and she introduces Wonder Woman, and she does all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. and she gets pretty upset about that. And basically, uh, she's doing an escape act here. She, tries to, she ties her hands with the magic lasso, which she can't break, because so she figures she'll drown her. Mm-hmm. She she escapes because she's Wonder Woman. That's that's how that all worked. That mm-hmm. that whole scenario was always where you could show her breaking the chains to do what she needed right, to do yeah. to move forward. Uh, Priscilla goes home and she's kind of messed up to start with. Mm-hmm. She's a little jealous. A lot of other things. Turns out she has a split personality and she looks in the mirror and there's this cheetah character in her mirror. 
screaming at her, but I'm the real person. You should, <laughs> what are you acting like that for? Take the rug and make a costume and go do stuff. <laughs> Uh, what she decides to do is frame Wonder Woman for bank robberies and thefts and whatever, and it doesn't go very well. By the end of this issue, it's a three different cheetah stories. She ends up on Paradise Island. She captures the Amazons and all sorts of crazy stuff mm-hmm. for someone with no power, yeah. except what she eventually ends up with is that girdle that gives them all their power, and she yeah. has a big fight with Wonder Woman where they're equal. Mm-hmm. Hmm. They capture her, and she gets, you know, she gets reformed and escapes, and that happens a couple of times. She also ends up in the last story that Dr. Marston would ever write, which hmm. is Wonder Woman fights Villainy Inc., where you get Giganta, who's an, an evolved gorilla, mm-hmm. <laughs> and some guy from Venus, and the Blue Snowman, who's a female supervillain who dresses like a man. Interesting. It's, you know, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, but eventually, in the 80s, there'd be another cheetah that yeah. was Deborah Domain. Mm-hmm. That was uh, Jerry Conway did that one. She was actually the niece of Priscilla Rich. Okay. She's been retconned out of existence. Okay. And the new cheetah is Barbara Minerva. Barbara Minerva, yeah. Uh, who early on actually murders Priscilla Rich. Okay. She's in a convalescent home or something, and Barbara's pretty steamed because Priscilla's written stuff about how, you know, she's tweeted about what a terrible cheetah she is. <laughs> And what takes her out. So anyway, my number three is the cheetah. And Barbara Nerva has powers. She's like merged yep. with the cheetah, cheetah for- god. The or cheetah some, force. The cheetah force or whatever, you know. <laughs> it's comic book stuff. Yeah. It, it, it makes much more sense than looking in the mirror and, and cutting up your rug and making yeah. a costume out Does of it. Does it really? I think they make equal amounts of sense. I just think the other one's a little more fun. The Minerva one is a little more fun that she actually has a cheetah power. But Yeah. <laughs> That's better than Mongoose. Uh, yeah, blood true. or something it's true, you know, it's true. It could be a problem <laughs> absolutely Steve uh, my number three is a character that there's no way he wasn't going to make this list I won't talk about him for long but my number three character is the Joker okay um there are just there's simply I mean everybody knows who the Joker is you know why he's awesome there are simply too many stories involving the Joker that are classics that are great that he couldn't make my list mm-hmm. he's an endless source of entertainment he's insane and uh, um, it's funny, ever since she said it, uh, I kind of wish Steph was with us right now, or uh, maybe I don't, because she would be be going back and forth with me about this. But when she said on the podcast that the Joker causes Batman to behave differently, mm-hmm. remember when she said yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I agree with her to a point, but I also, that's kind of one of the reasons why I really love the Joker, mm-hmm. is because he does kind of force Batman out of his norm, so mm-hmm. to speak. Batman has usually a very uh, methodical way or scientific way of dispatching his villains. And the Joker makes him, I think, trip up more than any other villain. He definitely, um, his compassions and his odd relationship with the Joker and his odd quote unquote need for him to exist, uh, is just a very, very, very interesting thing within the com within the Batman universe. I mean, that's always the way that it's been. And we even had the discussion about how he won't kill the Joker because of, of the, just the very idea of if I kill you, what if something worse comes along mm-hmm. and he's already so terrible right uh so i mean whenever i think batman i think the joker mm-hmm. i had to give him a spot i mean i left him on my list on purpose obviously he would be on here yeah you know, if i was if i was gonna keep him on there but 
Uh, my number three is uh, Reverse Flash, who uh, we were talking about mm. a little bit, I think, off off mic. We talked a little bit about the book that's coming out, but I haven't read any of the new 52 Reverse Flash, so this isn't as bad. It's about Professor Zoom, yeah. um, Reverse Flash, Zoom-a-zoom. with the yellow and black uh, costume with the red lightning bolt, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, big player, obviously, in Flashpoint, so he's a big progenitor of the new 52, but um, the... I love all Flash's rogues, and there would be multiple on this list if I was going to include a bunch of them. But I pick Reverse Flash because he just seems to be the one, whereas the other ones, they come up with plans that stifle the Flash sometimes. But I never really feel like the Flash is in mortal danger when he's around Captain Cold or, you know, um, Boomerang or anything like that, you know. But when he when he's facing off against Professor Zoom or Reverse Flash... Not only do I feel like his life's in danger, but I feel like they do a great job, especially that character, of making me feel like the Flash just can't beat him. Like, there's something about him that he just cannot overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that feeling of hopelessness that he, and then he's able to over- overcome it, makes it even sweeter. Um, and again, once again, look really helps as well. He yep. looks really awesome. Now, is he still from the... 52nd century or I don't know. Whatever. I haven't been reading it, so I do not have oh. no idea what his origin is. I liked him a lot in the uh, Flashpoint Paradox film. Yeah, he's really good in that. And yeah. then that that way he just always seems to be a step ahead. Yeah, no, I, Barry. I, I, I yeah. felt that. Like what you're talking about, I definitely got that impression from that movie. Yeah, so I love that character. All right, so that's my number three. Bob. No, my number two, we spoke about a little bit already. It's the Crime Syndicate of America. Oh, there we go. So from JLA 29 and 30 back in 1964 and mm. the Grant Morrison Earth 2. Mm. Uh, Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski. Gardner Fox had written The Justice Society back in the, in the 40s. Sikowski was the current uh, artist on Justice League. And it was the second in the JLA-JSA crossovers. What I didn't mention before is when the Crime Syndicate decides... After beating the Justice League on Earth One, but, but lose they lose but win because they spirit them off to Earth Three, where they then kick the crap out of the right. Justice League, and they both the two teams agree that you know what? Well, this proves nothing. Right. The only way around this, we'll have to go somewhere neutral. Mm-hmm. The Justice League being captured gets actually locked to their meeting room table, <laughs> while the Crime Syndicate goes searches out Earth Two, figuring it's good place, mm-hmm. it's good place as any. Justice League contacts the JSA. They fight the crime syndicate. They win. They beat them. Mm-hmm. But there's another trick, and we all end up there captured. The Justice League has to go do what they have mm-hmm. to do. And it's just so wonderful to watch the reverse, just as with your reverse flash, yeah. the reverse of the hero and how they have to overcome themselves. Right. But themselves with the brutal streak that gives that person an edge, you would think, except goodness can triumph. There's yeah. a smartness to that. Yeah. And the, the heart is mm. worth something too. So yeah. for me, number two, the crime syndicate of America on Earth three. Nice. 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 Steve. All right. Uh, number two is going to be an obvious one. But uh, my number two spot goes to Miss Harley Quinn. She is my absolute favorite female in the DC or Bat universe. Uh, simply put, she brings a brightness to an otherwise dark universe that I find highly appealing. Uh, ever since her debut uh, after school, I was watching Batman the Animated Series. 
she came onto the scene and it was something that I had yet to see in the Batman universe before. Uh, she was spunky. She knows how use was. She, <laughs> she was spunky. She was bright eyed, bushy tailed. She's walking around with jackals for pets. Uh, the way she talks, she's got that, that New York, Brooklyn, you know, whine to her a little bit. Normally I find it excruciating, but with her, for some reason, it's cute and tolerable. Uh, I absolutely love her history with the Joker, their relationship, them as a couple. I've always found it quite fascinating, uh, especially within a couple of moments of the uh, DC 52. There's some really quite horrifying moments uh, shared between Harley and Joker once they're reunited after the Joker gets his face back and so on and so forth. And he basically puts her through the mental ringer. And uh, it was just a a short couple of pages. Uh, It was a backup, Mm -hmm. I believe. But even even in those pages, just uh, Scott Snyder, I believe, was was the author of that, correct? It was Scott Snyder and James Tinian did the backup. It was Jock on the art. Yeah, really, really, really great stuff. I am super, super excited for uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor to be bringing her back into the DCU uh, later this year. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just everything cosplays that I've seen. Uh, different art from all over the web that I've seen. There's just, there's something about, I love the duality of her costume with the black Mm. and white, uh, I mean, sorry, black and red diamonds, the whole jester thing. And even though she's been kind of touch and go within the the continuity of the new DC 52, I have faith that one day we will see a return to form for her. I'm really hoping for it. And uh, she just, she just brings a lot of joy. To me, and I loved her in uh, Gotham City Sirens as well. So, Very nice. Harley Quinn, number two. Very nice. And you get a chance to have her back, perhaps. Yes. Coming I, soon. I really hope so. So, I mean, I just, I just, I want her to have a little bit more of the, the fancifulness that she, she used mm-hmm. to have. You know, she's a little ditzy, but she's also, if you piss her off enough, she could be very calculated. The big hammer comes out. Yeah. The big hammer comes out. She plots on her own. She orchestrates things. She even goes behind the Joker's back a couple of times. And no one ever suspects it hmm. because they all see her as, you know, the Barbie, the fluff piece and makeup. Hmm. She's so much more than that. And I've just, I've loved her for years. So she's number two on my spot. Awesome. Awesome. Very awesome. Um, Number two for me is Talia Al Ghul. Nice. Um, And this comes from my literary crush, Grant Morrison. Uh, (laughs) uh, What he's done with her since his beginning of Batman and Son till now. uh, Character who I always liked and thought was was a cool character and loved the relationship between Batman and her. Elevated her to, in my mind, as far as danger and complexity above her father in, in a lot of ways. Um... Obviously, she, you know, gives Batman the ultimate pain, what she she does to their son, uh, Damien. Um, The way that she basically kind of attempts to take over the world right under his nose and uses his his detective uh, detecting abilities and his nature against him because she knows him so, so well. Um, But also that... She's that villain who they can meet and talk, and she's just not trying to kill him at every every moment and every turn. And that in the end, she would 
she if he joined her he would she would welcome him with open arms you know there's a complexity there that i i think is really really cool and i think that you know damien says it in one of the issues you know you 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 know his greatest nemesis isn't the joker or two-face or these other people who try to blow up the city he's like my mother you know is his greatest villain of all and he doesn't even realize it you know um so it's something like I'm paraphrasing, yeah, but, no, but that's great. That's what makes her so perfect. Exactly, mm-hmm. and so the sh- she is my number two, Talia Al Ghul. Awesome. Now, what did you feel about her portrayal in the movie? Um, Since she's so far up your list, yeah, you know the portrayal in the movie. I, I felt like, first of all, I was astounded that Talia Al Ghul was in a Batman yeah. film. Like that's astounding that they would do Talia Al Ghul. Um, it was astounding when they did Ra's Al Ghul in in Batman Begins, yeah. but. It just she let me she acted like Talia, but when when she was bad, when she revealed herself as bad, but it's just too quick. You didn't she didn't have the t- I didn't you didn't get the time to see her, you know, be, see a plot, be a plot, yeah. and be mm-hmm. you show how cunning she was. And kind of the point, uh, what, what I find so interesting about her is that Batman knows who she is. She knows that she is this evil daughter of one of the greatest villains in the entire history of man. But he still somehow falls for her, and they still have a relationship, even even beside that. Not like, oh, I fooled you into having sex with me, and now you know, that's now I've got you. Yeah, um, well, that's more like real life. More like real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I wasn't crazy about it. I think that in a perfect world, I think that um, God, what's her name? The w- woman who played Col- uh, Marion Cotillard. She's perfect to play Talia. She's absolutely perfect. I but you would just need more time for her to play. She needs to be Moriarty. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And she, you don't get that in, in that. So, yeah, I mean, it was awesome that she was in it, but I wish there were, there was more to it than that. Um, Bob, we're okay. at your number one. Number one from oh, here we go again. <laughs> People are turning off left and right. Uh, All Star Comics number thirty five, nineteen forty seven. Wow. <laughs> But he's been around since per Degaton. And you're going, who? Well, yeah. This guy. This guy right here. This guy with a big P on his chest. Okay, <laughs> let me see him. Explain who he is. He worked for a, a series of, he's a scientist, other scientists around there working on time travel. His knowledge eventually <laughs> uh, outstrips theirs. This whole time travel thing strikes him as a way to change the world. He can change historical events to his liking, change things as they move forward to something he likes. He runs afoul of the Justice Society back in the old days, more than a lot, actually. Uh, Eventually showing up in All-Star Comics 59 when they brought the series back in 76 and all through All-Star Squadron Infinity Inc., all the Roy Thomas World War II books, uh, and eventually a huge five-part crossover that's in, re- reprinted in volume, is that six or five of the crisis crossovers you've got there? In the uh, this is that's volume six. Volume six, the latest one. Uh, it's three issues of Justice League and two issues of All-Star Squadron that even feature the crime syndicate because Perdegaton can control them. He goes to Earth-3, he finds a way there, gets them to go back to 1962, steal nuclear missiles from the nu- Cuban Missile Crisis, bring them back to 1942 <laughs> to change World War II, and so you get one of the issues opens with all of the United States destroyed. It's a, 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 Metropolis is a, is a smoking crater. This guy has big plans. 
And one measly guy with basically no powers who eventually ends up having something called time vision. He can sort of see the future sideways. He can see what will happen if he does certain things. He manages to take out, you know, 14 superheroes, controlled continents. He's got it going on. <laughs> per Degaton. Per Degaton. <laughs> the world is mine. And there he is, crowing yeah. in a lovely George Perez drawing. I love it. I gotta tell you, I really love Jerry Ordway's art. Oh, yeah, because he did the All Star issues. In yeah, those. yeah, yeah. But it's like this is it, right? I mean, this is yeah. it. Uh, yeah. I was digging awesome. the art in that Wonder Woman number six you had with the cheetah. Oh, that's that's Harry G. Peter. That's Wonder Woman's original artist. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. I like that. Um, so, Steve, you're number one. All right, drum roll, please. Bum, 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 bum. My favorite villain in the DC universe is, of course, Scarecrow. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I hate to be so predictable and anticlimactic, but I got to go with my gut. I got to go with my heart and my, my feels. And I, I love everything about the Scarecrow. Uh, I, it's funny. I've always, always enjoyed him. I, I loved him in the animated series. I liked him in the few comics I had read, but it wasn't really until I read uh, Scarecrow Year One, which I have it here, is uh, by Bruce Jones and with Ooh. art by, believe it or not, Sean Murphy uh, and Lee uh, Logridge. Logridge? Something like that? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I just, I love the uncertainty that the Scarecrow creates in, in not only Batman, but all of his victims. Uh, I love the idea that he's been kind of capering around the DCU, that he capering. might be... I like capering. I love that word, capering. It's so good. Who's that? Um, <laughs> you're throwing me off, man. Sorry, man. I didn't mean to do <laughs> no, that. No, no, no. I just... He's always... He's always getting inside of people's heads. I love the idea of the fear gas... Just yeah. gassing someone and bringing their worst nightmares into reality for them and paralyzing people and, and just they're on the ground experiencing God knows what, whether it be a, a loved one that had passed, that somebody that was so dear to them that perhaps in the final years of their life, they were maybe, I mean, I'm creating a whole scene here, but maybe they were like, it's the truth though. Living like living in their living room attached to like an iron lung. And for years they had to, you know, feed them and change them and clothe them. And then finally they had such love for them and they die on them. They feel that guilt regardless of all they tried to help them. And then in some random act by the scarecrow in a bank or in some square somewhere, they get doused with fear gas and they're lying in, you know, the dirty Gotham streets next to a sewer and they look up and they see that person leaning over or, you know, their hand pushed against the iron lung, you know, calling to them from inside where it's barely audible and it's just your worst nightmare coming through or, or something you experienced or a sickness coming back, perhaps a surgery that you had that you lift up your shirt and all of a sudden your scars start to bleed. Like, it's he's unpredictable in what he can create and his origin story or the origin story that was told by Bruce Jones is just this really super, super twisted and super artful story of a child that looked up to his father who was a scientist and his father tortured him and basically created him. He, he went on to follow in his father's footsteps but he would lock uh, Jonathan Craven down in a basement area and would basically 
create an environment of of hallucinatory events to petrify his son and then use the excrements from his body inside of the fear gas to create this ultimate fear. It's really, really fucked up Mm -hmm. stuff. And I absolutely love it. I have kind of a personal obsession with nightmares. I don't, while I don't like them all the time, I do find them extraordinarily fascinating. And the idea that Batman fights a villain that is basically nightmares incarnate, or at least uses nightmares as a weapon is super appealing to me. Mm-hmm. So Scarecrow is my number one villain in the DCU. Well, that's the kind of thing you can all relate to. We yeah. all have those hidden fears and have that exploited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... It hits you to your heart. It, it, goes, it, it goes so much farther than just, oh, I have a fear of spiders. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be a giant spider, but it, it, he probably won't stop at that. Right. It'll be an army of giant spiders. <laughs> yeah. It'll be an army of giant spiders with the person that died in the iron lung for a head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you yeah. know, something like that. Yeah. So he's so twisted. I love him. Yeah. Um, and uh, my number one is Sinestro. Ooh, it's nice. my number one villain in the DC Universe. Um, even more than we talked about before, and right along with Bob was talking about Vandal Savage and other things like that, Sinestro to me is the most for me is the most interesting villain in all the DCU because he honestly believes in every single part of his being that what he's doing is the right thing. He, he loves his homeland. He does not want to see anyone be hurt or die. He just, he doesn't want crime. He doesn't want, so he goes in there and he goes, he does his best. He goes, this is, I want to remake it. You and my image. And he ends up enslaving his planet and ends up, going down the wrong path, but he only does so in the name of protecting where he came from. And when you hear him and you see him battle, um, you know, Hal and the other Green Lanterns, and even when he becomes a Green Lantern again in, in the New 52, in, in, the John, in the John stuff, he... There's, there's times when he's talking and you're like, he has a point, you know? Mm-hmm. And to me, that you don't get that very often. And to me, that's the most interesting villain to have. You know, I let me I love villains that are just villains. You know what I mean? Like that's what's so great about some of those Batman villains. They're just villains. They're just bad guys, and they're bad guys to be bad guys, and that's awesome. But when it comes down to it, stories about Sinestro always get me more because you're like, he's not actually a bad guy. He just doesn't he doesn't agree with what the status quo is doing. And in somebody's eyes, he's probably the good guy, you know? So I, I find that to be utterly fascinating mm-hmm. and I love his journey and his ability to do good things, even in the face uh, of being such a force for evil in the DCU. Cause he is, he does so many evil things mm-hmm. throughout that stuff. But you know, I just love that complexity of that character. Yeah. Nice. If he gets his way, it might be better. Yeah. So exactly, uh, it could it could work. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So those are our um, uh, our top five uh, DC villains lists. Uh, if you guys have your own, please send them in to at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook dot com slash Talking Comics, or podcast at TalkingComicBooks dot com. Um, but let's talk about what's on the shelves right now because we're almost at three hours on this uh. podcast. Um, Avatar Press. We've got Absolution Rubicon, number three. Um, God is Dead, number one, which I believe is the new Jonathan Hickman book. It is. Yeah. It's a miniseries from Avatar Press, number one of six. And Uber, number five. Um, 
from Boom Studios, Deathmatch number nine, Garfield number 17, Hit number one, and Suicide Risk number five. From Dark Horse Comics, we've got Baltimore, The Infernal Train, number one of three, Catalyst Comics, number three. Um, we've got The Star Wars, number one of eight. Um, we've got... Is oh, that the one from the original script? From the original script, yeah. Okay. Uh, from DC Comics, we have Action Comics, number 23.1. Um, Emmy Coming Girls, number seven. Um, we've got Batman, number 23.1. We've got Batman and Robin, number 23.1. We've got Batman Black and White, number one. We've got... Um, Sorry, uh, Batman the Dark Knight, number 23.1. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Detective Comics, number 23.1. Django Unchained, number 7. Earth 2, number 15.1. Flash, number 23.1. Ferris, number 19. Forever Evil, number 1. Green Arrow, number 23.1. Green Lantern, number 23.1. Um, Injustice Gods Among Us, number 6. Justice League number 23.1, Justice League Dark number 23.1, Justice League of America number 7.1, Legends of the Dark Knight number 12, Scooby-Doo Where Are You number 37, Superman number 23.1, and Trillium number 2. Yeah. Um, From Dynamite, we have Army of Darkness versus Hack Slash number 2. We've got Black Bat number 5, Codename Action number 1 of 6. We've got... Lord of Mars, number two. Mocking Dead, number one. Owl, number three. Pathfinder Goblins, number two. Shadow Year One, number five of ten. Um, Warlord of Mars, Deja Thoris, number 29. From IDW, Danger Girl the Chase, number one of four. G.I. Joe the Cobra Files, number six. Haunted Horror, number six. Um, and that is it. From Image Comics, we have Black Acre, number ten. Two, number 36. Distant Soil, number 41. Hoax Hunters, number 10. Invincible, number 105. Invincible Universe, number 6. Um, we've got Legend of Luther Strode, volume 2. Trade paperback is coming out as Pick well. Pick it up, so good. Love Stories yeah. to Die For, number 1. Um, volume 5 of Morning Glories is out. Um, Reality Check, number 1. Satellite Sam, number 3. Sheltered, number 3. Yeah. Spawn, number 235. And Witchblade, number 160. Nine from Marvel Comics, we have all new X Men number sixteen, uh, which is part two of Battle of the Atom, which is also out uh, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, Avengers AI number three, uh, Daredevil Dark Knights number four of eight, Deadpool kills Deadpool number three of four. Um, we've got uh, Infinity number two, Iron Man this... number fifteen, Superior Foes of Spider Man number three. Superior Spider-Man number 17, what, what, which brings about Spider-Man 2099 into the 616. Uh, Takio number 4, Venom number 40, X-Factor number 262, the final issue, X-Men Battle of the Atom number 1, and X-Men Legacy number 16. Um, from Valiant, we have Quantum and Woody number 3, Shadow Man number 10. And from Zenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales Presents, Hunters, The Shadowlands number 4, The Rabbit Hole number 4, and we also have Tyler Kirkham's Screwed number 4. Big week. <laughs> Big week. Not a light week. No. Not a light week. No. Um, so that is it for the Tongue Comics podcast uh, for this week. I mentioned several times where you can get in touch with us, so I will not make you guys listen to that. Again, but my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve, 
Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Bob, your email address. Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Um, and remember, guys, comment on the website, talkingcomicbooks.com. Uh, it's a great way to interact with everybody. 100th episode is coming up in a few weeks. Um, if I haven't RCP'd you yet, please get back to me. Uh, I did not mean to, to miss you, so I don't want to, if you have, or want to come, I do not want to leave you out. Um, and look out for the Lock and Key Contest. Check that out. Uh, and that is it for the Talking Comics Podcast for this week. For Steve. Villains. And Bob. Do your homework. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued. <laughs> <laughs>